get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. pitch. Swing and a miss. Two strikeouts in the inning. Six in the game for Quintana. Swing and a miss. Gets out of the jam. So back-to-back hits. Caratini, Taylor, then the double play and a strikeout. And it's one nothing as we head to the sixth. Tonight was another outing. I mean, 35% strikeout rate. Got some swing and miss. The fastball just dominated with it. Really, really good outing. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest as Jose Quintana puts together another really solid performance last night against the Milwaukee Brewers. I know it ended in defeat for the Cardinals, but hey, let's be honest. We all saw the lineup. We knew it was coming their way. Yeah, that was the hangover oh. lineup. Whoa. I mean, yeah, when, when Juan Yepes is starting at third and Alec Burleson is starting at first, you kind of know what's coming. Well, you don't get in my boy like that. Well, at least we said he was playing. You asked than... me this morning, how did Juan Yepes look at you third? Said he looked good. And I said, ah, looks fine mostly. Yeah. You said, wow, that's shocking. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. Look, man, I, I thought, don't want to hear anything from you I today. I thought that was a safe space, but clearly not. No, nope. You know everything that is said here ends up coming on the air. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. The only thing we were really going to learn last night was, can Jose Quintana overcome what is behind him? And guys, the answer was yes. Ended up with seven strikeouts in five innings. You look at what he's down, done now in his last 19 innings. He has 19 strikeouts. The swing and miss stuff is there. I said yesterday when we came on the air, we all agreed. Miles Michaelis wrapped up one spot in the rotation after his start the other night. I think last night, Jose Quintana did the same. The two guys that for me would be locked into my wild card rotation as of today. I can't believe we're here are Miles Michaelis and Jose Quintana. The other th- the other spot that is available, that is going to be determined over the course of the next week. That's the only one that still remains, in my opinion. Yeah, and still has not given up more than two earned runs throughout his time with the Cardinals. Uh, and especially with that lineup behind him, overcame that defense with the amount of strikeouts that he got, only walked two. He solidified that rotation spot for me. And frankly, he looks like the guy that I'm going to number two in a wild card series just because when you got the lefty when you got the strikeout stuff Jose Quintana just seems to be in playoff mode honestly seemed to be in playoff mode since he was acquired which makes sense considering he was out of the playoffs once he started the season with Pittsburgh but yeah Jose Quintana locked up that spot for me just like Miles Michaelis did against the Dodgers yeah I, I thought he had oh, I'm the... sorry the Brewers or... Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, I thought he had his spot locked up already because of the Dodgers from the Quintana start in his last outing where he shut them down three times. Now only one of those coming with the Cardinals. But I I thought he had already locked up the spot, and yesterday was just kind of a reassert. Re, re, <laughs> Keep it going. You and I are about to have a rough day, buddy. I don't get, know. get there. 
He reaffirmed. It. There we go. There Thank you, go. you. That was the word. He reaffirmed what I thought of him. So I thought he looked good last night. He's definitely, for me, going to be that game two starter. And we know that the Cardinals like left-handed pitchers in Bush Stadium. And I think that's part of the factor, too, when you look at Jose Quintana is they like getting righties in the lineups at Bush Stadium because it's tougher for them to do so. When Quintana's pitching like that and going against the odds when he had like a little league infield around him yesterday, then it then it shows that he's got the stuff that can play in the postseason with the strikeouts. I didn't think his breaking ball was that great last night, but his fastball was really good. And considering that he throws only, I think it's 92 was his Mm -hmm. fastball velo, and he's beating guys on that up in the zone, low in the zone, being able to locate it and get it in on righties. I think he just reaffirmed that he belongs in that playoff spot at the number two. The other thing is he's performed well against the playoff opponents that he's going to be matched up against. I looked through this last night because I was curious because it felt like since he's been with the Cardinals, He's performed well in these scenarios, and that has been the case based on the numbers as well. He's made eight starts this year against likely to be playoff opponents. So those opponents are the Dodgers, the Braves, the Yankees, the Brewers, the Phillies. Those five teams, he started eight games against them. He's got a total of 40 innings in those games. He's given up 45 hits, which is a pretty low number over 40 innings, just 10 walks, and he struck out 38 batters. He's good for a 3.15 ERA in those eight starts against legitimate playoff contenders. If you get something resembling that from him in the playoffs, you'll be thrilled. So, yeah, everything indicates this is a guy that you can trust once you get into the playoffs. The other thing that I really like about him is you know exactly what you're getting. You're not going to push him to try to get to that seventh inning. You're not going through four times through an order or anything like that. You get him through five. You go to your bullpen. You're ready to go. And you know you can lock that thing up with the way that the bullpen is now set up for the Cardinals. So I'm feeling good about Jose Quintana. We got this on the text line. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. We now know, for us at least, he's in our playoff rotation. Is he in your rotation next year? This is a text from the 636. Guys, I've asked you this a few times, but I have not yet received a response. Do you believe that it is a must that the Cardinals re-sign Jose Quintana? I don't feel like it is a must. Because I think that there are other pitchers, other starters that will be on the market that have similar stuff to what Jose Quintana brings to the table. But I, at this point, would not be opposed at all to bringing him back. If they could get him on a one-year deal worth somewhere between the range of 7 to $10 million, he's a guy that I think is helpful for what you're trying to accomplish next year. So yeah, if he's interested in coming back and he's interested in coming back on a reasonable one-year contract, that is absolutely something that I would be open to if I'm the Cardinals. Yeah, I would be the exact same. One-year deal is where I'm at. Don't be getting multi-year deals out here for Jose Quintana. But what worries me about it is the fact that he's pitching better than he's ever pitched in his career with the Cardinals, and I don't want it to become this looking through these like rose-colored glasses of sitting here going, man, you've got this guy, and he could be a number four in your rotation next year or a three. I don't expect this Jose Quintana to continue after this season, but I think right now when I look at my rotation beyond this year, it's all about protection. You know you got Michaelis, you know you got Montgomery, but then after... Or, Steven Matz too. But then after that, it's really up in the air. You don't know with Adam Wainwright. You don't really know with Jack Flaherty in terms of health. I know you believe it. I don't. You don't know with Dakota Hudson. And then beyond that in the minors, it's a bunch of unknowns. Yeah. So, yeah, I would. There's it, Libertor. Exactly. That's about the biggest unknown you can ask <laughs> exactly. for right now. So, yeah, if he's willing to do a one-year deal, I'd be all for bringing him back. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. I, I don't think it's necessarily a must, but I, I would definitely kick the tires on bringing him back. And I, I think if you bring him back, and I was just jotting down what my rotation might look like last year, and I honestly forgot about Jack Flaherty, but 
If Wayno comes back, then your rotation is probably set with Flaherty, Wayno, Michaelis, Mats, and Montgomery. If not, if Wayno doesn't come back, or you look at maybe Flaherty in a trade package, which I've brought up in the past as or well. Or Hudson. Or, like any yeah. of these guys could be considered as trade candidates in the offseason. Then I think you can bring back Jose Quintana on like a one-year, probably in that $8.5, $10 million range, somewhere in that range, like Andrew Heaney, uh, Tyler Anderson got this past offseason. You can bring him back. And then if you still have Hudson on the roster, I like what I've seen from him out of the bullpen. And then you could just say, you know what? You were good as a, you were okay as a starter. We think the pitch clock is going to help you, but we think you can also be a weapon out of the bullpen. And then you could kind of shift him from starter to bullpen, kind of like it's a little later in his career, but like they've done with Zach Thompson, yeah. where Thompson was a starter this year and they decided, you know what? Palante is another good Same example. Thing. And then you could have him come in where he could take that role of Palante, be the Swiss Army knife. He could start when needed to. So I definitely think it's worth kicking the tires and bringing him back because I always believe when a guy comes to an organization, and unlike McFarland and Luis Garcia last year where they struggled outside of the Cardinals organization and then when they were brought in had such success, Quintana was having success with Pittsburgh, but he's had even better success here in St. Louis. I think there's something to that. So I would definitely really consider kicking the tires on bringing it back. And especially when I look at his home numbers, five starts in Bush, he's one and one, 29 innings pitched with a 1.86 ERA. Wow. That's absurd. <laughs> I think he's worth considering kicking the tires on bringing back. And Alex is right. This is the best that he's ever pitched. He has a 2.1 ERA since he's arrived here in St. Louis. That's unbelievable. And you don't expect that next year. But... Even if you got 2018 Cubs version of Jose Quintana, which is not the best version, it's also not the worst version, it's somewhere in the middle. That year he started 32 games, gave him about 170 innings on a 4.0 ERA. If you got that version of Jose Quintana, where he's not walking a bunch of dudes, he's okay when it comes to the overall results, he's given up more runs than what you'd expect, but he's slightly above league average. That's worth seven to 10 million bucks. Like I would pay that to be able to cover the innings over the course of the season. You're paying more if you want something around that, if not better than that in the offseason. Absolutely. So he's a guy that I think makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals, both obviously here and then short term for the playoffs, but also long term in terms of what they could do with him next season. It also opens up some flexibility with trades that they could make in the offseason. Like if you have Jose Quintana here, then if somebody calls you about, I'm not like super gung-ho about it. But if somebody calls you about Palante, maybe you can make that move because maybe it is a Dakota Hudson that slides into Palante's role or the other way where Dakota Hudson now can become available in some trades. Maybe Matthew Libertor is a guy that they consider exploring trades for. There's a lot of opportunities that would become more palatable if you have a guy that's ready to go in that rotation going into the offseason. What we thought was going to be the biggest question going into the offseason no longer necessarily feels that way because of some of the, the these two trades in particular that the Cardinals decided to make at the deadline. Until we get to spring training next year, and then you find out that Always three of the is, guys right? are hurt, and it's like, oh, good, now you don't have any pitching again. Alongside <laughs> Alex Ferrario and Tanner <laughs> Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk to Ben Heisler. He's the managing editor for Betsided. Excited to get his thoughts on the weekend slate. Hopefully he can help me pick some games this weekend because it uh, hasn't gone particularly well over the last oh man, couple of weeks. You're doing well. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I know you something. like my picks. Coming up next, though, we finally have an idea of what the NHL salary cap will be next year and beyond. What does it mean for Ryan O'Reilly? Plus an update on Scott Perunovich. All of that coming up on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The Ryan O'Reilly one is an intriguing one. I think he's still such an important part of this hockey team. 
and, and such an important leader and what he brings from a work ethic and skill standpoint that I hope they find a way to do it because I still think Ryan O'Reilly is a real key to keeping this team in potential championship windows. That was Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, on with us a couple of weeks ago talking about what the contract extensions for Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo means for Ryan O'Reilly. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Ryan O'Reilly is entering the final year of his contracts this year. One of the big questions as to whether or not the Blues will be able to retain his services long term is, well, what does the cap look like in future years? Alex, we're starting to get some more indicators on what that's going to look like. According to The Athletic, Deputy NHL Commissioner Bill Daly says that it's going to increase by $1 million next offseason. That is the same that it's increased over the last couple of years. The difference, though, this time around is that the expectation is starting in 2024, it's going to grow with the revenue again. And if you remember in the 2020 pandemic season, that postseason, they came up with like a, a bridge CBA, essentially, where they decided, hey, we're going to have to repay all of this lost revenue first. And then when we start seeing increases in revenue again, when we've paid back what we lost, we'll then start carrying up the cap once again. So that's going to start happening in 2024. And there was a story that we saw from Elliot Friedman a couple of days ago that said it's likely to be around four to five million dollars per year that it increases after this upcoming summer. Alex, what do you think this means, if anything, for Ryan O'Reilly's future here in St. Louis? The cap going up by a million dollars next year and then starting to go up more significantly after that. Yeah, and, and by significantly, I mean, you really hope that, uh, what was Elliot Friedman's Four projection? to five million dollars Yeah, and then I th- think three years, it'd be like 10 million up. So, I mean, that's ideal if you're Doug Armstrong looking at it. The problem is next year. And how do you make that work if it's only a $1 million rise, which... I know you say it's like it's weird how they set it up with cap friendly because right now it says they got a ton of money, but it's really not as much when you think of how much they're going to have to add to their roster. I I do think this helps them if they want Ryan O'Reilly back, but I don't think it's going to change the way that Doug Armstrong approaches the contract with them. I think they'll can they can look at this and say like okay now we can make this work if we were to go to Ryan and say look Ryan we want you back for four more years we'll give you five and a half mil per year and we feel like that's a good deal. I don't think that's going to change that this is going up more. I just think that's going to make Doug Armstrong more inclined to try and give that contract to Ryan rather than just say, hey, three years, five mil, that's what we can do. Otherwise, we got to move on. Now, I think there can actually be some negotiation there, but I don't think it's going to budge the way that they view Ryan O'Reilly, if that makes sense. Like, I think they view Ryan O'Reilly as we're only going four years with you and we're not going to pay you more than $6 million because we've just locked up these two young players to $8 million. They're the core. You're an asset piece now moving forward. But the fact that the cap is giving us more wiggle room in the next two years, three years, we can make this work and still keep this team competitive. I'm kind of with Alex. I'm not sure how much of a factor it has. I think Doug Armstrong's still going to view it the same with Ryan O'Reilly. And I truly believe had if there weren't so many roster spots that are open going into next year and you saw this cap projection that we're seeing, I think it made it would make it more likely that Ryan O'Reilly would be here because there's not as much uh, roster, there's not as much fill-ins that need to be had for the St. Louis Blues. I mean, sure, they have a lot of money, but as Alex mentioned, they've got a handful of forwards that are coming off of their books. They're going to have to go out and make those replacements. And then you've got Ryan O'Reilly, who's probably going to command like five, $5 million AAV, and depending on the years, like it may not hurt them in the next three years after the first year of the contract, it might with his age, but in terms of the money based on yep. the salary cap going up, it may not hurt. But I don't think the cap's moving up enough next year to where they can they can say 
reasonably, okay, yeah, we can definitely make this work with Ryan O'Reilly. I still think it is going to come down to he's going to have to take a team-friendly deal to where they can work this out because they've got so many other holes they have to fill with the roster. I've never felt like this was about the money. I, I think this is about the years, and I think it's about his age. And if Doug Armstrong wants to make it work, I think they can. I think they've always been able to. I don't think it's about the 2023 cap sheet for them. I think they can make it work next year if they really want Ryan O'Reilly back. And with this money being added to the books in 2024 and beyond, I think it makes it even easier because then for 2024, basically the cap, the rise in the cap is what you're expecting to sign Ryan O'Reilly for. So that money just fits in there. And so you're, you're playing with a flat cap for everybody else that's on your roster, not named Ryan O'Reilly. So you can make it work long-term. It's a matter of, do they want to, do they think that Ryan O'Reilly is going to age gracefully or do they think Ryan O'Reilly is going to age poorly because of his style of play? We in this room think it probably will be fine. Maybe on the very last year of that deal, he's not the same player that he is right now. And instead of being a top line centerman, he's a third line centerman. You can make that work with $5 million though. We've seen that with Tyler Bozak by the end of his time here in St. Louis. Was he worth $5 million? Probably not. Could you make it work, though, with him being here for five mil? Yeah. And as a percentage of the cap, Ryan O'Reilly will be even less in 2027 than what Tyler Bozak was a couple of years ago for the Blues. So I think they can make it work. It's a matter of Doug Armstrong wanting to or not. And I just don't have a good read right now on whether or not he wants to keep Ryan O'Reilly long term. I think he does. And I know I say this, and when you look at past experience, what was it that Wyshynski told us? It's the if you uh, have the caption on your jersey, you're basically yeah, you're destined to be gone. Much gone. So, like, I know I can say this, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, well, it didn't work out in the past." But Ryan O'Reilly, I mean, even Robert Thomas, when he was on with uh, Randy and Kerry a couple of days ago, he mentioned like, you know, Ryan O'Reilly is the guy that I kind of formed my career around thus far, and I hope he's here longer term. Like, I think the players in that locker room want him around, which is going to be inclined for Doug Armstrong to take a deeper look at it. But we had the same conversations about Petrangelo and about Maroon and about Perron. Like, everybody that I've said that about in terms of what they mean inside of the locker room, other than Pe- every one of those guys is gone Other now. than Petrangelo, though, those guys didn't wear captains. And those guys didn't have, although Petrangelo had that role, those guys didn't have the role that Ryan O'Reilly has. That Perron does. Perron didn't have Ryan O'Reilly's role. Not the defensive centerman that's going up against the other team's top sure, lines. But Thomas kind of has that role now, too. But is he ready to take it on for the next next season? What like, do I think? What do the Blues think? Because I think those are different questions. I do I think that Kairou is ready to take on the David Perron role? No. The Blues sure seem to think so, though. Well, but uh, again, I, I think they feel like he could take over the Perron role because he can score goals. I think they think that Thomas can take on the Ryan O'Reilly role because last year he was playing on the penalty kill and getting some of those defensive zone faceoffs early on. But he was and, not good in the playoffs with it, though. That, that's he got my caught multiple times Thomas. on I'm the with ice you. with goals against where they're like, okay, we can't have him out there. Ryan O'Reilly played against Nathan McKinnon's line, like it or not, in that playoffs. I don't. I, I think that there are two conversations that are being had right now. I, I'm speaking for the organization, not for myself. Well, there's going to be two different conversations had with this right now also, and that's why I don't know if you're going to see them butt heads with each other. The conversations kind of mesh until we see how Ryan O'Reilly, if Ryan O'Reilly goes out there and has a hell of a season, he's not signing for $5 million. Even if the blues are saying like, Hey, we'll give you the four years because we feel like you'll continue this. If he goes out and has a hell of a year, he's going to want to get paid. And then it gets to the point where 
I don't know if the salary cap even makes a difference going up. That's where I'm at. I don't think the salary cap really does matter for this. I think it's about the years. And if you're, by the way, Backus and another guy you go back, he was wearing the captain as well. Um, if you look at the way that players like O'Reilly age, I just don't know if that's something that Doug Armstrong's going to be interested in signing for more than three plus years. We, I think Perron is instructive. All of us thought he was going to be back. It's a no brainer. He was one of their most productive players. You look at what he did in the playoffs. You're talking about playoff production. Well, who was more productive in the playoffs for the blues than David Perron? Nobody. I don't think anybody's ready to take on the role that he had for the blues last year. And yet he's gone. And he's gone because he got multiple years and the Blues decided we don't value him as much as other teams around the league value him. In fact, if you listen to Perron, apparently there was never even a formal offer this offseason for him. I I don't know if I would be shocked if the same thing happens with Ryan O'Reilly. I hope that it doesn't. But we now have enough information to know if this thing doesn't get done by the start of the season. And at this point, I'm not expecting it to, frankly. It's like 50-50 to me as to whether or not Ryan O'Reilly is back. And to be totally honest with the the cap thing, to bring this back to where we started the conversation, I don't know how much the cap really matters. I think the cap plays into this now that they know they're going to have more wiggle room in the next couple of seasons rather than it being an unknown like it was last year. Like the Perron thing, they didn't know when it was going to spike. But they knew these projections. The league has given these projections to the teams. We didn't know it, but the league internally knew what these projections looked like already. You go off of what Doug Armstrong said, and he said that they didn't. it was uncertain where the cap was going to go and still be flat, and I feel like that played into Perron. I think that if they know that it's going to move. They never even gave him an offer. I think that if they know that it's going to move, they'll look at Ryan O'Reilly and say, I think we can make this work, but it's still going to have to be, like Tebow mentioned, a team-friendly deal. I, that's where I am. I, I still think that they could try and make it work, but it has to be essentially, yeah, here's how we value you, and you're either going to take it or you're going to walk. And I think that's where it was. I know that Perron said he didn't get an offer, but I, I assume that's where it was with Perron in terms of, like, if there were any sort of negotiations, like in the year prior, like, I would assume it was, yeah, here's how we value. We think you're worth this AAV on this amount of years. And Perron said, I'm worth more than that or I want more term. And they went, sorry, we're not budging. And and yeah. I expect that's how it's going to go with Ryan O'Reilly because to the point of the cap, yeah, I don't think the cap really matters unless it's shot up like $10 million next year, which it's not. It's only going up a million. Then do I think it may have play, played a factor into this? But I, I truly be because there's so many open spots on this roster, the Blues are going to have to play it a little bit tighter to the chest than we're expecting probably. And they'll say to O'Reilly, hey, we value at this and on these many years. And if you don't want that, go ahead and find someone that will give that to you because we'll move on. We've got Robert Thomas in his, in your place. Alex, uh, Craig Berube's talk, talking to the media right now, and he was asked about Scott Perunovic and what's going to happen with him. Perunovic, for those of you that missed it, was hurt the other night in the Blues preseason game hit. against Chicago. He's being evaluated, and Berube says that they'll know more tomorrow or the next day. He added, I do feel bad for him. It's been really tough luck. He worked hard all summer, came in ready to prove himself. It's an unfortunate incident. It was great that he got some time in playoff games for us at the end of last year, did a good job for us. He worked hard this summer, coming in to be a permanent player to find a spot, and now he's got to wait for that. What do you make of this news or... I don't even know if it's really news, but yeah. what do you make of this with Brunovich? First of all, I should have used the unfortunate incident rather than nasty on my tweet. I'll, I'll, I'll think probably of that next been better. context probably <laughs> yeah. next time. Right? What's Sorry. that mean? Damn it. Uh, uh, look, he's saying two things that don't coincide with each other. He's going to be reevaluated, but yet they also feel bad for him. Like I, 
Curb said it yesterday with us. Anytime they use the word evaluation, reevaluating, it makes you really concerned. So for me, I'm just going off of my gut here. It sounds like he's going to be out for some time. And if that's the case, then like Barui mentioned, one, it's really unfortunate because he did stay in town to try and train and make sure he was ready to go. I feel like they were going to make that spot for him. But now it comes down to, I think he's going to be out for when he had the wrist surgery before it was eight weeks. So it would probably be around that if the surgery Mm. kicks in. Um, So now it comes down to, do you have the depth enough? Is Callie Rosen good enough to be your seventh defenseman? Or do you need to go to the market? And I think that's going to be the evaluation from the next five preseason games for the Blues. Because if they don't feel like Mikola and Rosen can be those guys, you're going to see him go to the market. In 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. But next, Ben Heisler, managing editor for Betside. And we're going to get his thoughts on the picks for this week in the NFL and in college football. Hopefully he can help me out a little bit more than we've had over the last couple of weeks. We'll talk to Ice about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Heisler's good at betting on football. I am not. Man, Been terrible bad. over the I'm last average. couple of weeks. T-Bone's average. Ben Heisler joins us now via the Brown week, and Crouppen Celebrity Line. He's the managing editor for Sided, and he's going to help me, hopefully, pick some games this weekend. Heis, how you doing today, buddy? I'm well, gentlemen. I, I would think that with the punishments continuing to get progressively more and more aggressive, I, I would think that would be a slight motivational boost to get yeah, better think. at betting on football. But then again, betting on football is really, really hard. And even people that do it for a living have weeks where they lose a lot of money. But that's why it's fun. And that's why as long as you have limits and not ridiculous punishments yeah. and everybody ends up being okay. Heist BK lost the third week. You know what his punishment this week is? You know that game where you have the knife and you go through your hands really quick? We're making him do that. Okay. <laughs> That's not funny. We're not, no. No. Audience, we're not doing that. That's not happening. What do you mean? No. What? No. We're not doing that. We're not That's doing roulette. Right, no, 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 no. That's not happening. <laughs> I am, however, terrified of every pick that I make, Heist, because the NFL Same. right now, you look around the league, everything's a three-point game. Like, I Every yeah. game that I watch right now, it could go either direction. It's three points in one direction or the other. That seemingly includes tonight's game where you've got a 3-0 and team on the road at Cincinnati in the Miami Dolphins going into Cincinnati to play the Bengals. I assumed this would be like an even line. I think these teams are kind of the same. Nope. The Cincinnati Bengals are a three-and-a-half point home favorite. Can you explain this one to me? Uh, it's a trap. It's a trap for anybody that is looking to bet Miami. It's uh, basically your your whoa whoa danger, Mister Will Robbins. I probably screwed up the expression somewhere along the way, but I mean, it's sometimes sometimes sports sportsbooks will do this where they're basically just like daring you. It's like it's like uh, that scene in Billy Madison. It's like you double dog dare me to go ahead and take the Dolphins at uh, plus three and a half. Yes. They want you to do it. Um, I, I've been impressed with Miami, and again, like this number was was weird. Cincinnati just lost their their nose tackle, so they're going to have some more issues have, putting pressure on Tua, who we're still trying to figure out what his injury status is. I I think you're going to see this line maybe move uh, a little bit towards Miami once they announce that Tua is going to play. Um, and I mean, they they have a decisive advantage on the outside. Like if it's Tyreek Hill lining up against Eli Apple. Um, I, I don't want to be Eli Apple at all. 
You know, Jalen Wallace had a fantastic start to the season, but um, teams that are, are coming off this this particular spot, especially on, on short rest on the road, have not fared well. Trends tend to very much back favorites at home on Thursday night, especially with the line where it is. And it, it, this has been a very sharp play throughout the course of the week. Um, I'm hoping that the line moves to three, and then I'll, I'll feel much more comfortable betting Cincinnati. Uh, the play that I actually do prefer, if you can still find it anywhere, is the over of 46.5. I think most books now have it at 47.5. Just because I, I do think both teams are going to score. Miami hasn't been able to stop anybody. They've, they've been able to win in spite of their defense over the last several weeks. And, and Cincinnati has started to play improved defense. Um, but, again, against Miami and these wide receivers, it's going to be very challenging. But then, I, I think that line is too good to be true for Miami. And, again, like a lot of the Sharps are coming in on Cincinnati, and it's hard for me to, to go against them. Makes sense that you would like the over. I like the under in this game, Heiss. Fade BK, hashtag Fade BK, Heiss. I, I, let, me, let me rephrase that. I like the under when it was before it got past 47. I like I, Right now that it's 47, 48, uh, I, I might be on the other side. Maybe I'll try to middle it. Let I me, liked it on the under no matter I was what. Say, let me rephrase it for you while you rephrase it, Heiss. I liked it on the under until BK said he liked it on the under, and then I flipped it to the over in this one. But speaking of trends, Heiss, so last week I took – Two favorites and one underdog, and I went one and two, and wouldn't you believe it? It was the underdog that won me that game. Luckily, BK sucked so bad he went 0-3. Should I just stay the hell away from favorites right now when I'm betting heist? Because they seem to really hurt me in these spreads. Uh, well, I mean, at, at this point, um, it, it, it's really sort of the – here, here's what I'll say about it. I wouldn't just blindly stay away from favorites. Like I, I, I took the Lions in Survivor this week. It's Week Four, and I'm taking the Detroit Lions <laughs> Wait, to win a Survivor pool. What? Like that—that's the current state that's, of the that's NFL. Cajones. Heis, that's Cajones. Heis, they're missing half of their offense. It's fine. Yeah, but uh, no, but they're they're missing bunches of their offense. But their offense is still really good. And Seattle might be the worst team in football. Okay, Going true. from Seattle to Detroit. Hashtag in an early start game. Hey man, I'm questioning yeah. it. So that's the, the right question to me. Heis, stick to your damn guns. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this, this is the week with with BK's uh, you know, punishment on the line. I started to drink before the show just to, to make things a little bit more oh, interesting. Yeah, he does so that I, already. So I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say stay away from favorites. I would say if you're looking for a specific number, look for the number. Like that's that's all. That's like betting 101. If you're not betting the team, you're betting the number. Like case in point, last week, um, the the Colts and the Chiefs. Um, okay. Obviously, weird, weird crap happened in that yep. game, and the Chiefs should have won that game. Thanks, but man. The Thanks for bringing this up. Let me relive it one more time. Heiss, this is what uh, this, oh. is what, this was his first overall pick. Heiss. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just trying to make life a little bit more, more straightforward for you. But at one point, this number got up to uh, six and a half, seven for the Colts at home, and you have to take that number even against a team like Kansas City in that particular spot. It, it's the same thing here. You have to find the right number for a lot of these different favorites. And if the line moves towards an underdog where you feel like that's going to be too much towards that side, then you jump on the right side of it. So I wouldn't say avoid favorites. Uh, Underdogs have done very, very well to this point, and unders have done very well to this Mm. point. But if the number is right based on the particular matchup, then you have to follow the number. Well, I followed the number when Auburn was minus seven, said Mizzou can't score and, uh, well, then they lose by a freaking field goal, Heiss. Yeah, on the plus side, at least uh, Arkansas found a way to win on that last second field. Wait, nope, that didn't happen either. No, nope, that definitely didn't happen. Heiss, one of the games that I'm super interested in going into this weekend is the Eagles at home against the Jags. And the Eagles are a six-and-a-half-point favorite from what I'm checking right now 
Do you have a lean in this game one way or the other? I love the Jags, but this feels like a tough spot for them. Um, it, it is a tough spot, but I, I also like them here. Uh, it's also a Doug Peterson revenge game. Something to consider if you're going to go ahead and, and take a, a little walk down narrative street. Jacksonville's defense has been uh, very, very good at taking the football away. Um, their, their, their front has been generating a ton of pressure. Um, granted, you can say that the Eagles canceled that out with how good their offensive line has been. But it, it kind of feels like after last week with, with, with Philadelphia, I thought that might be a bit of a trap game for them on the road against Washington, and they smoked them. And now you come back home, it's still a Jacksonville team that I, I think most people aren't sold on. And if anything about Jacksonville, like if, we might be talking about them differently if they would have hung on in that game against Washington, right? And I think that's probably part of the reason why the line is where it is. They, got, they lost that game to Washington. Washington got smoked by Philadelphia last week. Um, transit, transitive property here, and that's how you end up with a, a line at six and a half. It actually opened at seven and immediately uh, got bet towards the Jacksonville side. I, I think they can keep it close. Um, even on the road in that type of predicament, that type of situation, I, I think Tug Peterson's going to throw out some, some new wrinkles into the playbook this week. Uh, Lawrence is coming off of a, a player of the week performance. He has improved in every game. Um, in Philadelphia, also, one thing to consider is that they've been great in the first half. Not so good in the second half. Back-to-back weeks where they have not scored points in the second half of those games. I think that gives Jacksonville an opportunity to perhaps come back if you want to go ahead and jump on them live. That's another play as well. Um, but I, I think the back door is, is very much open for Jacksonville to cover here. Uh, Heist, maybe not a game I'm excited about, but uh, an interesting one to bet on if you're going parlays like I like to do, you know, put together an 8-9-10 game parlay. Uh, the battle of mediocrity between the Denver Broncos and the Vegas Raiders. I think somebody should just probably take the under at 45.5 on this one because I don't know how to read plus 2.5 for Denver. And Heist is going to tell you you've got to take the over here. <laughs> What's BK I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to tell you to take the over. I, I, I am taking the Broncos in a teaser. And for anybody that's unfamiliar with a teaser, that's where you take two teams, you try to get it past uh, numbers of three or seven. Those tend to be the, the, most, um, you know, the most bet numbers in the NFL. And I can move Denver from plus two and a half to plus eight and a half. And I'm going to tease them with uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, at plus one to go from plus seven against the Chiefs. I, Denver does have a very good defense, and the Raiders don't have a very good anything right <laughs> now. Um, but again, you know, like I, I, I would say it's a bit of a trap line as well, the fact that the Raiders are um, 0-3 this year, the fact that they've looked pretty much terrible in every game. Uh, but historically, 0-3 teams against the spread in week four um, tend to do very, very well because the public is just going the, the complete opposite way. The problem is that Denver hasn't given you a whole lot to feel good about on the other side either. So I, I think the Raiders probably end up winning this game. I, I don't think it's going to be blowout uh, by any means because the Raiders' defense can't stop anybody. If there's going to be a week where, where Russell Wilson looks just decent, um, th- this is probably the week for it to happen. So, yeah, it's, it's a battle of two bad teams. Broncos are still somehow you know second in the division right now as far as their odds are concerned um but i it's it's probably a stay away for me just i, I don't love the line for either of them but i like the fact that you can use them in a teaser get them past three or seven all right final question for you heist we'll get you out of here on this one one of the big games this week i'm sure this is going to be a part of our pick tomorrow chiefs sunday night football at tampa bay i'm seeing it at even i think you can get it at minus one in favor of the bucks as well 
Heiss, I think that the Buccaneers are the better team. They're at home. You typically expect this to be a three-point favor in that direction, and yet Vegas has the Chiefs as, if it was a neutral field, slightly better than the Buccaneers. Can you explain it to me? Well, it's been a weird game in a lot of different a lot of different ways. There was some you know, potential reports that the game may not be played in Tampa because of Hurricane Ian. Um, now the game is likely going to be played there. And once that news came out, that's when you saw a major shift in the line. The line opened up at Kansas City minus two and a half. And like you said, BK, it's, it's now anywhere between like I, I just did a show right before I came on with you guys talking about this game. And at one book, the Chiefs are plus one. Another book, the Chiefs are minus one. We've also seen this total go from 49 down to 45. And these two defenses have been exceptional. Like yards per play allowed, both these teams are top five in the NFL. The Chiefs actually have been better against the run this year than Tampa Bay. And and that's been Tampa Bay's bread and butter over the last few years with with Todd Bowles there as the defensive coordinator. Now as the head coach, they're unbelievable against the run. Um, but now you have really good weather in Tampa, actually, for that game. You have Tom Brady, who over the last 20 years is 10-0 and 0 against the spread following a loss. Um, and Pat Mahomes, always very good in the situation coming off of loss as well. He has never been an underdog in his career coming off a loss, which is fairly remarkable for a quarterback still in his mid-20s. So I, I like Tampa here as well. Again, I, I mentioned that they're going to be in that teaser bet with Denver so I can get them at plus seven. Um, but it, it's going to come down to the wire. Like it's just, everything's kind of right around the margins, I think. Um, so if I had to put a, a play on this game right now, I'd probably take Tampa at plus one where I can go ahead and, and shop for the best line. Um, not to say the Chiefs won't play well, but um, they've, they've had success against Kansas city, especially when they, they've gone to sort of that single high uh, and they haven't had to blitz Mahomes. And that's the game that Mahomes had the best game of, of the season so far when Arizona just blitzed them at will. Last couple of weeks, you've seen some more struggles because teams have been able to get a little bit more pressure without having to send everybody out towards them. I hate picking any of these games. Hi, so we appreciate the time as always, man. Somebody on the text line, 65780 is your comfort service text line. Asks, how do you spell Ben's name? Hear him every week. Really want to follow him on Twitter, but I can't ever find him. He is at Benny Heiss, H-E-I-S. So if you want to find him, that is where you can do so. We appreciate the time as always, buddy. We'll talk with you again next week. All right, fellas. Good luck with whatever punishment is coming somebody's way. Thank you. It'll be coming my way, and I'm very much not looking forward to it. Appreciate it. All right, so hopefully you'll avoid it next week. (laughs) Fingers crossed. That's Ben Eisler joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's funny you mentioned the two defenses in that game between the Chiefs and the Bucs are are both quite good. I think if you were ranking the four main units, so Chiefs, defense, and offense, and the same thing on the other side— I think you would get to both defenses before you get to either of the two offenses, which if you went back two years from now, you wouldn't have believed me if I had made that statement about those two teams. So I uh, can't wait to pick that game tomorrow. Coming up in 15 I'm minutes. staying away from it, and I'm staying away from college football. Hopefully. We're, we're going to have limited options for yeah, who we are. And then pick them tomorrow. <laughs> what are your biggest concerns for the Cardinals heading into the playoffs? We'll tell you what Jim Bowden, former Major League Baseball general manager, had to say and whether, we not, uh, whether or not we agree with that. That's coming up in 15 minutes. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Hey guys, if the postseason started today, who would you be going with as your three starters? We all agree on two. We've got Michaelis and Quintana. Alex, who would be your third right now? Right now, without seeing their final starts, Jack Flaherty. If I get to see their final starts, there's a chance that Adam Wainwright could slide back into that. It's crazy that I'm to the point where Jordan Montgomery is not in my rotation. Because the month ago, he was the only lock that was in. And the Phillies hit lefties well, and that's who you're playing right now as of today. Can I say bullpen game? Like, <laughs> I God, no. st- Who would you start that game? Out of the bullpen? Are you starting a reliever? Or are you starting a quote-unquote starter and then going to the bullpen earlier than expected normally? Uh, what I'd probably do is I would probably start a starter and then go to the bullpen early. Like, I might go Jack, and then if he's like, doesn't look like Jack after two innings, the bullpen comes in. I, I think that's, I guess that's the route that I would say. I'd say I'd go Flaherty, but it would be such a short leash that it may end up turning into just a bullpen game. I, I think that's where they would stand right now as well. That's where I'm at. I think we're all on the same page. I would start Jack Flaherty as of today, give him three, maybe four innings, probably get through the lineup once, maybe twice, and then go to the bullpen after that. I'm expecting like four innings out of him. And then maybe go to Montgomery, maybe go to Mats, maybe go to Thompson. You got some options there. So that that would probably be the way that I would go with it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Hey, guys, what is your biggest question about the Blues lineup going into the season? So I guess who who are the guys that are still battling for roster spots? Let's let's frame it that way. Um, Roster spots. Well, Craig Ruby had some pretty interesting comments about Clem Costin today. Yeah, he ain't making this roster. He said, I uh, still has not seen enough out of him. I want to see him get more involved and engaged in the games, which essentially what he's saying is I want him to play like a fourth liner, and he's not. He's playing like a goal scorer, and unfortunately, they don't need him to be a goal scorer. They need him to be a fourth liner, but I mean, he still is on a one-way contract, so I'd say he's fighting for a roster spot. Josh Levo's fighting for a roster spot. Uh, Martin Furk, who got injured, skated today. I think he's still in the conversation. Um, and then apparently they must like a little bit of what they're seeing from Tyler Pitlick because they're putting him back in the lineup again this evening. You kind of look at the guys who are getting more opportunities because they're trying to see as much as possible before they send them back down. So I would say those are some of the names that are in the conversation right now of competition. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's get to this one from the 618. Hey guys, do you think that Mizzou can cover the 28-point spread this weekend against Georgia? No. Yeah. I said that with Auburn, and no, that screwed me over too. So now I'm not too sure. But yeah, no, 28. Eh, I don't think so. They cover 28 points. It might be the greatest achievement in the Eli Drinkwitz era. <laughs> I don't know if okay. they. I don't know if they score seven well, points. Uh, you, I think that's that's possible. I don't know if they score seven points. I mean, they barely covered Two field the, goals. They barely covered the 40 point line last year, and that was a I thought a worse team. I said Zubat. this on a podcast last night. I think that if you were giving me. Georgia's defense and special teams versus Mizzou offense. Which one scores more points in this game? It'd be a push. I think that both get to one touchdown. Yeesh. Yikes. I think Georgia's defense scores a touchdown. I think Missouri's offense scores a touchdown. Oh, I think Georgia's defense scores two touchdowns. Are they going to throw the ball to Burden this weekend? or like? No, Burden's hurt. So I did some research on this. Ooh. Burden's actually die. getting targets. Oh. The problem is... He ain't catching the The quarterback ball? sucks. All of the above, what you guys just said. Quarterback isn't very good, and he's not catching the ball. 
if you look at the true freshman wide receivers, he's in the top five in basically every statistical category. But where he's getting those targets has been problematic. None of it is creative and none of it is manufactured. It's all like within the structure of the offense, basically since week one. That's what's got to change. They've got to get him manufactured touches, get him in on the screen game, get him into the backfields and the wildcat, get him in on reverses, all of that stuff. That's what they've got to get going. Okay, so now I saw his photo that he tweeted out the other day, like telling people to calm down. I thought it was Photoshop because it was a picture of him like being thrown the ball. All but right. now, now <laughs> I understand right. it wasn't. They, they actually do target him. Okay, okay. good to know. Hey, That's why you got to do our guy dirty like that? Huh? I don't need that out of you. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into a game of Believe It or Not. You give us a scenario, we'll tell you if we're believing it or not. Maybe you have something on Luther Burden. But coming up next, what is it. your biggest concern for the Cardinals going into the playoffs? We'll tell you ours. Here's some of yours coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here's the way I look at it. I think Jose Quintana makes the case for being the great piggyback starter. Jose, be ready to rock. If any of our guys get in trouble early on, you're the first person we're going to, and we believe in you coming out of the bullpen. I know we're going to throw you out of whack in terms of being a creature of habit and starting every fifth day. I know you like doing that, but we need you to be a piggyback starter. So I, I don't think he starts a game. I do not, and I, I do think it'll be incredibly valuable for the Cardinals coming out of the bullpen. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. The voice you just heard was Greg Amsinger. He was on with the morning show today talking about the Cardinals' wild card rotation. And for Jim Bowden of The Athletic, that's his biggest question, his biggest concern about the Cardinals as they're heading into the postseason. He said on in his piece earlier today over on The Athletic, quote, the National League field is better starting pitching than the Cardinals. So how are they going to fare against the Dodgers rotation? How are they going to fare against the Braves rotation or the Mets rotation or even the Phillies? All of them have better options than the Cardinals do. If they don't have October success, it will probably be because their starting rotation did not match that of the league's best. Again, that coming from Jim Bowden of The Athletic. I want to open this up to you guys. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I've also got uh, some questions for the two of you in this room. What is your biggest concern? For the Cardinals in the playoffs? Is it the rotation or is there something else that stacks up there for you? The offense. That's my biggest concern. And I don't think anything's going to change that from being the biggest concern from everything that we've talked about. It's Goldie and Arenado or bust. It's home run slash slug or bust with this team. T-Bone, you brought this up earlier today. Like a perfect example was they had runners at first and third with what was it? One out last night Mm -hmm. and couldn't score. The offense is my biggest concern because if Goldie isn't hitting. If Arenado isn't hitting, this team could be out after two games. So that's my concern. I think my concern is going to be more of the back back into the rotation in the playoffs. Like, I feel comfortable with the way Quintana and Michaelis have been pitching, but the fact that you still don't know what Jack Flaherty is after coming off of his second stint on the IL. Jordan Montgomery's been roughed up in the last handful of starts. Adam Wainwright, we'll see if he's been able to find the fix for his uh, mechanics after he says that he may, th- may may have found it in his recent interview on uh, Wednesdays with Wayno on the opening drive. But I think it's the back end of the rotation for me because I I kind of agree with Jim Bowden that when you look at the Cardinals' rotation, though I trust guys like Miles Michaelis and Jose Quintana because we see them every day, 
I, I do think on paper it is the worst rotation going into the playoffs. I, I truly do believe that. And I but I think that that's not a necessarily because I think if this pitching staff gives you an opportunity to at least keep games close, then I trust that the offense is going to come through and win games like three to two or two to one because I think I know what the offense is at this point, and I just don't know if there's much hope for it to get any better and uh, as we get into the playoffs because the offense is just Goldie Arnado. If the pitching, if the starting pitching can't keep games close early on, then this team has no shot in the playoff playoffs, in my opinion. Yeah, that's where I'm at as well. I'm also on the starting pitching side of things, and the reason why is because like. I just I have to have faith in Goldie and Arenado being good. And if they're not, then they're not going to win. But if Aaron Judge isn't good, then the Yankees have no chance. If uh, Bryce Harper is in a slump in the playoffs, like the, the Phillies right now are really struggling. They're they can't even beat the bad teams that are on their schedule. They might not end up getting that sixth seed. As of today, the Brewers are a half game out of the wild card standings because they beat the Cardinals last night, and the Phillies just keep losing. It's like. What are they, 2-10 and 10 in their last 12 games, something like that? Yeah. It's been really bad for them. So there are a lot of teams that if there are the two main guys in their lineup, they slump, yeah, they're going to struggle. That's the way that baseball works in the playoffs. I can't worry too much about that, so I'm just going to assume that those guys end up being okay. For me, it's the rotation because as much as I'm excited by what Jose Quintana has done, He's still a guy that you're expecting five innings out of, and he does pitch to contact more often than not. And if he doesn't end up getting the soft contact, if it's a little harder going up against one of these good opponents that we're talking about, yeah, it could look bad. And then you put even more pressure on your bullpen and you get to that underbelly of your bullpen. And then the Cardinals are down like six to two in the fifth inning. And I don't have a whole lot of faith that they're going to be able to come back in such a scenario. So for me, I'm with you guys. I do think that it is for me, the the rotation that is the number one concern for me. Yeah. And just what you just described there is why like, all of it's kind of a concern right now, other than the bullpen, but even the bullpen's a concern because it might get worn down because of how much you're using them. I know we've talked about of what that playoff roster could look like for the wild card series. I'm starting to believe more and more that they might load up on pitchers and not as much on bench bats because of this scenario of, to their point of, yeah, Miles is probably going to be able to give us six, maybe seven, but after that, we're probably talking about five or less from Quintana and third starter to be determined. So, I, I mean, the pitching is a concern, but... For me, I look at it and say, you know what? Miles is going to give you a really solid outing. I think Quintana can as well, and it remains to be seen with that third starter. But if this team finds themselves down, like let's say the opposition, whomever they play, the Phillies score two runs in the first inning, I don't know if I'm going to believe they're coming back from that 2 nothing deficit if it stays that way the rest of the game because of the offense's just inability to move runners over. And I think there's... I think that's a pretty fair point because how often have we talked about like Miles Michaelis, for example, you look at his starts and there have been a handful of starts where Michaelis has, I think he's got two shutouts this year where he's gone like eight or nine innings and he still loses. Like think about the Tampa Bay run. game where he pitched yeah. as well as I've seen him in a Cardinals uniform and they found a way to lose against Shane mm-hmm. McClanahan. And he just had another one of those games not too long ago mm-hmm. where he Wade did the same missed a thing. Ton too. Yeah. So I think that's a fair concern. I, I just think you have to allow yourself to at least that opportunity. And that's why I lean towards the pitching side of it because I kind of agree with BK to where if Goldie and Arnado aren't hitting, I mean, you see it, you've seen it this September. Like, the Cardinals have been okay in September. Like, the record shows that they've been fine, but it just hasn't had the same oomph that August had. And that's my concern is that the offense, or excuse me, that if the pitching can't keep games close, that you 
then you don't have any legitimate shot. The lineup's not deep enough for that. But if you can keep a game within one or two runs, I trust Goldie, Arnato, and Albert to potentially come through for you when you need it if you get a guy on, like Tommy Edmond, Brendan Donovan, Lars Newbar. Those guys are scrappy to where they can get on, find a way to get themselves in scoring position, and you just need that one big hit. And that's why I think it leans towards the pitching for me is, can you just keep it in that big one-hit range to where you just need that one opportunity to tie it or potentially get the lead and take on and then win the game? And I think five innings is perfect for a starter in the playoffs. Yep. Like I Quintana, I know like that's one one negative of him. Well, it doesn't go very deep. I don't care. I Honestly, I want to get get the ball to my bullpen arms as soon as possible. And if he can just give me five solid innings, perfect. I'll turn over to the bullpen every time. So there was one other thing that Greg Amsinger said today that caught my attention as he was on with uh, Randy Carricker and Kerry Davis on the opening drive. You can hear them weekdays from 7 to 10. Amsinger joins them uh, weekly. Here's what he had to say about the Cardinals' preferred opponent in the first round of the playoffs in that wild card series. I don't want to specifically hone in on what he says about which team they could play, but rather why that one team could be of interest to him. I look at the perfect formula to win a World Series. The team has got the top two starting pitchers and that one red-hot reliever. And if you look at that game last night, Woodruff fits that criteria along with Corbin Burns. And then Devin Williams coming out into the seventh inning, pitching the way he did. I, I think they're a dangerous team from that perspective. But I think if you ask the Cardinals to a man, they'd rather play the Brewers. I want to hone in on what he said about the Brewers. Of I always like the formula of two dominant starting pitchers, and you look at the back end of the bullpen, they're going to be dominant as well. I think that's a formula that like, if the Brewers were to go on a run, and I don't expect them to, but if they were, that's their formula. That's the way that they end up getting to the World Series, potentially. The Dodgers isn't hard to find as well. They've just got a, a lineup that can bludgeon any opponent that they go up against. You look at the Mets, it's going to be their starting pitching. With Scherzer and DeGrom at the front end of that, that's their formula. The Braves are just the all-around team that are completely relentless, depending on, regardless of the night. What is the Cardinals' formula? Like, if I told you today, hey... A month from now, the Cardinals are going to be holding up a trophy because they have just won the World Series. How do they do it? What, what does it look like in your mind? What do you think is their formula to be able to get to that place? I think there's two things that stick out to me for that. One is uh, T-Bone's favorite slogan, Slug Baby Slug. That would be their identity, but I think their identity could also be the bullpen. I think their identity could be the fact that they just have guys that are lights out, not just one guy like a Devin Williams, but you're talking every single person you go to, whether it's Thompson or Mats or Hudson or Gallegos or Helsley, that their bullpen is able to keep team keep the team in games and possibly save them games. So I think it's one of those two options that could be the identity for me. I kind of agree with that, and my sentiment towards it is that maybe it's not the whole lineup is slug, baby slug, because I just don't think this lineup is built for that. I think it's more of you have a guy that Goldie or Arenado or honestly it could be Albert or honestly O'Neal, one of those four has like a war has a playoff run that you saw like in David Ortiz when they won the World Series back in 2013. Or Murphy with the Mets with when Mets, what 2015 400 and had yeah. an unbelievable OPS. One guy gets hot like that, and then the bullpen is lights out and has kind of that identity. Not like the Royals where it was the big three. More of like what the Braves had last year, where it's like they get another guy that can come out of the bullpen and just strike out three guys with will. I think that's how, if they're going to lift the trophy, you're going to say, wow, what an unbelievable playoff run by whoever it is. And then, wow, that bullpen was like five, six arms deep. That was just unbelievable. That's where I'm at. I think it's it's Goldie and Arenado. Like the season that they've those two have put together where they're arguably one, two in the MVP race, it's got to continue. Like that's their formula. It's super simple, but it's the reality. It's the same thing as, 
I keep going back to the Yankees. I think the Yankees and the Cardinals are not all that dissimilar. I don't think that the Yankees rotation is super imposing, but you look at the lineup and you say, we got to face Aaron Judge every night. That's going to suck. It's not going to be an easy night for us to go up against him. And then they've got complimentary pieces, of course, that they can go to. But really, when you look at the Yankees, you're thinking about Aaron Judge. When you think about the Cardinals, if you're an opponent, you're looking at, okay, how do we navigate the middle of this order? How do we get through Goldie and Arenado? And if we can, if you end up leaving the series and Goldie and Arenado didn't hurt you, chances are you probably won. You probably beat the Cardinals in that series. But if those guys are able to return to form that we saw, especially in August, well, then the Cardinals are going to have every opportunity to be able to win the World Series this year. One of those two guys has to win World Series MVP, in my mind, for this team to be able to win everything that they're looking for. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we are going to get into Aaron Judge and Albert Pools and how they have been the story of the 2022 baseball season. Did they save baseball from itself with what happened in the offseason? We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Believe it or not, 65780 Zero Comfort Service text line coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. It should have been somebody else. Don't bring the negative energy, PK. <laughs> what? <laughs> Your comfort service excellent from the 636. Guys, believe it or not, Brendan Donovan is going to be a postseason hero for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I'll believe this one. I think he's got the devil magic in him to be able to pull that off. I think he's the most likely out of all of the uh, other names that aren't Goldschmidt and Arenado, so I'll give it to Brendan Donovan. Throw Tommy Edmonds' name in there, too. I was to say, Tommy Hemmings is one that sticks out to me because I saw someone texting something about 06 David Eckstein. He's kind of, Edmund kind of reminds me of him a little bit. Scrappy, playing shortstop, hitting near the top of the order. So I'll say Edmund or Donovan would be the two that I would have to lean towards, I'd say. Feels like a Delugio moment. He's the guy. Yeah, you Delugio in it over there. <laughs> Up top. That was a good no, dad Delusing joke. it. Oh, that would have been better. That would have been better. Yeah, you Dang put a little it. too much on it. No, I. That's all right, man. You'll get there. Have a kid. You'll get there. Okay. Comes naturally then. I think if it there's flows. going to be a Cardinals devil magic player in the playoffs, it's got to be Brendan Donovan. He's the one that makes the most sense. I could see Newbar too, because Newbar would do it with a home run because he's got the power that Donovan doesn't have. I could see Donovan, though, having like a. 500 OBP so in one of up, the series. He would put up like an X. I wonder, like, he's on base all the time. Yeah, it could be one of those where he, he's just got a crazy on base percentage. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. This one comes from the 314. Guys, believe it or not, Yadier Molina will be a manager in Major League Baseball within the next five years. Did you guys see today that Yadi has officially been named the manager of Team Puerto Rico for the 2023 World Baseball Classic? Saw that. Don't know if he'd be a manager within five years because I feel like for how much he went back home so many times this season, I feel like he's got some stuff he wants to take care of. If this were to be like 10 years, I'd say I would have believed it, but I'm not going to believe this in five years. I think I'm not going to believe it either. I think one, he'll have to have a good showing with Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic, and then 
uh, whatever the other adventure is he's doing with them as well. And he's got and a then basketball I, team too. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the uh, the other thing too is like I think Major League Baseball teams have learned after a handful of failed experiments that it's not necessarily the best idea to just bring in somebody that's a first year that has had like, no experience in being on a coaching staff to come manage a team like. The Cardinals did with Matheny, yeah, he had success. You saw the Padres do it with Tingler, where he was more in like a hidden role, and then he became a manager, and it just failed miserably. So I think he'll have to kind of work kind of what like Skip's doing now, where Skip went from first base coach with San Diego to bench coach and still the bench coach here in St. Louis. Like, if you said who's going to have a managerial job in the next five years, i say it's more likely Skip than it would be Yadier or Molina, because I think Yadier's going to have to do the same thing that Skip's going through. I don't. I don't think he's going to end up uh, having to go through what Skip has. I also... I don't know, man. I don't I don't think that you're going to see Yachty as a bench coach. I think Yachty's either a manager or he's not on a ma- major league staff. I think he'll have like the Carlos Beltran type of route without the cheating scandal that ends up getting him fired before he ever manages a game. I think somebody will hire him. I don't know how it's going to go when they do, though. I'm trying to imagine Yachty having to meet with the media multiple times a day for 162 games. That is not something he's going to enjoy. And I'm not saying he'd be bad at the actual job. I I just think that the job, it's almost like being a captain in hockey, Alex. I think on the outside, we think of what that role is as being something different than what for a lot of the guys, what it actually means. The reality of being a hockey or a captain in hockey is it's just a lot of the forward facing stuff. You got to, you got to talk to the media almost every game. You've got to answer all of those questions. It's kind of what it is to be a manager. Like, are the roles of manager and bench coach all that different? Other than having the final say, maybe not. But the biggest thing is, like, all he has to talk to us for hours every single day. It's a really big part of his job because he's telling the fans what the organization is doing. Don't know that Yachty's going to enjoy that part of the job. And it's a huge piece of the job. So I just don't know how it's going to go. That's why I think he's more likely to be a bench coach. So he doesn't have to talk to the media. All he has to do is just be with the players. I don't know and- that he would enjoy that, though. I, think, I don't know. I think he might enjoy it. I mean, he talked. I mean, he was essentially bench coach in Milwaukee the last two days while Skip's been out dealing with something. So and he said he enjoyed talking strategy with Ollie. So I think if you get him with the right guy as Maybe. the manager, Honestly, I think he would do it. It wouldn't surprise me if he just goes and runs a lot of stuff in Puerto Rico. That that's kind of what I was thinking. Runs his Maybe basketball team. Up, runs a the base uh, the World Baseball Classic every yeah. year. It wouldn't surprise me if he decided to do that and kind of keep keep it under wraps. It's not like he needs the money. Oh, he's what? he's made his money in his career, so it'll be interesting. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for believe it or not, guys. Believe it or not, Adam Wainwright will retire after the end of this season. I'm still not going to believe this one, although I am starting to lean in that direction. I still believe he's going to have one more season under him. Now, if Sunday goes poorly. I might actually start believing this a lot more, but I'm going to say for right now, I'm not going to believe this because I do still think he's got uh, that certain win number in mind with the Cardinals organization before he calls it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not going to believe this. I still think he's got another year left in the tank. I think he finishes up next year. I think when he gets to that 200 win mark, and I know like people always say, well, there's always another goal to be set when you do it. I, I think getting the 200 wins, and then who was the pitcher he mentioned that he wants to pass? I forget, but it's the, the all-time wins leader for the Cardinals, right? Yeah, I, I can't remember who it was. but he, 210? Yeah, when he brought that up, I was like, okay, he's still chasing that, and I think he wants to get there. So I still Jesse believe Haynes. that. Yep, that's what that's it is. Who it was. Yeah, so I, I still believe when he gets after this season, he's going to be back. Second all-time wins, Gibson's. Uh, yeah. Um. 
Man, I think a lot is determined by Sunday. I agree with you, Alex. I'm As of today, I will hedge towards he's back next year. I don't have the same conviction in that as I did a couple of weeks ago. I didn't think that this was going to last as long as it has. And his press conference after the game... Is it Saturday? Is that what it was? Sunday? Was Whatever the fiery. start was. Yeah, that made me question things a lot more than what I expected to. So I'll lean towards he's back next season, but I don't. I mean, it's like 55-45 for me right now. Uh, from the 618, guys, believe it or not, there will be more teams that make the AFC playoffs from the AFC South than the AFC West. I'm not believing this at all. I think there's one team that makes it out of the South. I think two end up getting in out of the West. I don't vote. I don't know that it's going to be the three that I expected though. I don't. Who are the two that you think are going to get out of the West? I think the Chargers still get in, and uh, who, I think the Chiefs. I think those will be the two. Man, I'm starting to wonder about the Chargers. Brandon Staley's got me really concerned about that team. Last week was weird, but I just don't expect that going forward. I know that Joey Bosa's out now. They're having the typical Charger season where their left tackles out. Joey Bosa's out. Herbert's got like Herbert's got broken missing. ribs, and we yeah. all know how that goes for quarterbacks. They've for got the Chargers. Cleveland. They play Jacoby Brissett next week. They play Seattle in three weeks. You don't got to do Jacoby. Yeah, why like you do that? Jacoby like? That, I think man. they'll go at least three and one in their next four games, and we'll all think that they're going to be okay after that. I actually think I might believe this one because I think that the. <laughs> I think the Jaguars might get in, which. And I think out of the Colts or the Titans, one of those teams are going to right the ship this week, whether it's the Titans that win and make it two straight or the Colts that make it two straight. I think one of those two teams do. I'm completely out on the Raiders. Broncos might be two and one, but they better, they're better off being 0 and three for my taking. And then I don't know about the Chargers. When you lose your left tackle and who knows with Bosa, I, I think I'm going to believe this one. Have you guys seen the meme where the two garbage cans that are floating down a road on water? Yeah, double that to four because that's the AFC South. Yeah. It's just a battle of who's not going to be, who's not going to suck the most. So I'm not going to believe this. I, I think two do get out of the AFC West. I think it is going to be Kansas City. I still believe it's going to be the Chargers. I, I might throw Denver in that category, but Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson don't look like a good combo. So yeah. I'm not sure they're that second team. I still I still have faith in the Chargers because I think they have a top 10 quarterback and I think Herbert can get them over the top. So I'm not going to believe this. Just, I can't place my faith on the AFC South. I will not do that. You're, you're I now picturing the so. four garbage cans floating down the road, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. That, ma- that makes a lot of sense. And they're on fire. It's, yeah. a, it's a dumpster fire down the road. Yeah, it's, it's going to be bad. <laughs> coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into the junk drawer. We've got Joey Vitale joining us coming up at 1 o'clock. Very excited to start our weekly hits with Joe. But coming up next... Have Aaron Judge and Albert Pools changed the narrative of the 2022 season coming off of the offseason lockout? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And the payoff. There goes the deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 61. He ties Roger Maris for the American League single season record with 61 home runs. It's a two-run judgey and blast. 
That audio courtesy of the Yankees Radio Network with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Aaron Judge hit number 61 last night. Between him hitting 61 and likely getting to 62 or more and setting the new American League home run record and Albert Pujols getting to 700 this season, you add all of that up, the borderline uh triple crown that we had going into the month of September from Paul Goldschmidt, what Shohei Otani's done. This has been an unbelievable season for historic milestones for players across Major League Baseball. Alex, I remember back to 1998 and how that brought baseball back for America nationwide after that version of the lockout. And then you look at what happened during the offseason. That somebody uh, put together an interesting text on the text line. Guys, they have definitely changed the number narrative. Speaking of Albert and Judge, I completely forgot that there was a lockout in the offseason until you just mentioned it. I think what we have seen this year and just how great the storylines have been. And then you look forward at what this postseason could be with the expanded playoffs. I think baseball saved itself in so many different ways. Get Manfred out to the side, get the players and the owners, stop stop the negotiating, get all that nonsense out of the news and just let the game take center stage. And we're watching now why people still love baseball. The game itself is in a great place whenever the players and the owners get out of the way. Yeah, I mean, the texter makes a great point because I felt the exact same. I think I told you guys this yesterday. I completely forgot that the lockout started this season in baseball. I thought that was last year. (laughs) So, like, part might be exhaustion, but it also is tells you kind of the narrative of this season. That's the one thing, like, everyone always likes to complain about baseball and the commissioner, and I'm one of those when it comes to the rule changes and how long the game takes and how boring the offseason can be. But once the season begins, you get all of these storylines. And I think this is a perfect example of it. I don't remember a lot of the Mark McGuire chase just in terms of Major League Baseball as a whole. But I do remember the post-steroid era where it brought a lot of people back to the game and the excitement. And I think Aaron Judge, I think Albert Pujols, I think with the look around the league when it comes to how high the offense was this year in terms of the Triple Crown chase like like you just mentioned – I think they've done a really good job with it and getting people excited once again. But the problem is you always go into the offseason, and that's when all of the problems come back up again. Yeah, I'm with you guys. So I think baseball saved itself this year because, I mean, you knew it was going to be nothing more than just them heading towards that iceberg and hitting it and just sinking the fans' interest in baseball had it gone on to where you miss games. Because imagine, I mentioned this in the office before the show, imagine that if, remember all the scenarios we thought were going to happen until everything just kind of happened in the final hours that it was going to be a month that was going to be missed. Everybody seemed to think that, yeah, this is just going to be drawn out. Maybe a month is going to miss in the baseball season. And imagine if that was the case. And then I don't know if Albert gets to 700 home runs. Judge probably definitely does not have a 60-some home run season what that he has this year. Like I, I truly believe if baseball does that and you miss a month and Albert gets to like 698, that's going to stain baseball because Albert would have came back. He probably still says it's his final year. He ends up being short by two home runs. And what is the fan base going to do? They're going to point at and say, "Not it's not going to be Albert. Oh, Albert missed it. It's going to be, wow, he missed 30 regular season games and that, or 25 regular season games. And that's what caused Albert Pools a chance of joining the 700 home run club. So baseball getting out of its own way, allowing this to happen. You knew naturally that there were going to be awesome storylines throughout a season that were going to come through and just wipe away some of that stain from the 
Major League Baseball lockout. I don't think baseball expected these kind of storylines, though. And it ends up being really good for them. Yeah, I mean, the National League had the Pujols storyline. The American League had the Aaron Judge storyline. So you had something that was a through line for the entirety of the season, especially in the second half. I mean, it's been it's been unbelievable. And now you've got all of this leading into what is going to be an expanded playoff format. I heard Tim talking about this earlier today. I totally agree with him. I understand there were some, there might still be some that were skeptical of the expanded playoffs. Yeah, I hate it. I, I get it. But I think next week we're going to get into this. We're going to say this was amazing. The the expanded playoffs of the three game wild card series. I mean, I'm thinking about watching San Diego versus Atlanta. That's going to be awesome. Or if it's the Mets versus San Diego, that's going to be an incredible series. I think the Cardinals versus hopefully the Phillies, that's going to be a hell of a lot of fun as well. And then you get into the DS, and this is part of what makes it so much fun as well, is that, man, this has just been such a great season for Major League Baseball that you're going to have super compelling matchups. Think about this as a potential uh, divisional series matchups. Seattle versus New York, the Yankees. Toronto versus Houston. St. Louis at New York. And then the Braves versus the Dodgers. Those are four, like, headliner matchups potentially and we're talking about for the next basically starting next Friday all the way through like the 14 day period after that you've got baseball on almost every single night with those teams going head to head this postseason has a has the potential to be an all-timer I'm with you there I, I think I like the NL playoff field better like just looking at it I think there's more top heavy teams I think we've talked about this in the past we're like most years, the way you look at the Cardinals now, you'd probably say they're either the one or two seed. But because of how many tough teams you've got, you've got Atlanta and the Mets are going to win 100 games each, and somebody's yeah. not going to get a bye. You've got the Dodgers, who are set the franchise record in wins last night, I think 107 or 108, something like that. And then you've got teams that are kind of X-factors that I would call them. I, I think San Diego, I know they're going to be like the five seed, but, I mean, you look at that lineup. I mean, if those guys get hot. And, and you've that got a rotation. Three in their rotation. Yeah. Yeah, good I mean, luck. good luck with them. Atlanta, they're the World Series champions. You look at Philly, I know that, like, Right now, they're scuffling, but again, like I just looked at Harper's numbers. He struggled the last two weeks. Well, if he gets hot right before the postseason starts, Philadelphia could do any sort of damage. And then in the American League, I I think the only top-heavy team there is Houston. And then I I think the Yankees have fallen off a bit from where they were early on in the year. But otherwise, I feel everybody's right around that realm. And honestly, if Toronto ends up meeting Houston in the NL or ALDS, excuse me, Toronto's got the lineup that could do the same thing, where those guys get hot and they could just slug their way to the World Series. It goes to show you, too, because I know, T-Bone, you were one of these guys in terms of like the playoffs expanding and inviting everyone into it, and we thought it was going to be a disaster. It's not as much of a disaster as much as we thought it was going to be in terms of the teams that are in it this year. Yeah. I, you're not sitting here talking about like, you know, the Reds sneaking in or something like although the Reds are awful. Yeah. But you're not talking about a team that doesn't deserve to be in it rather than what we thought it was going to be. Six five seven eight oh zero comfort service text line from the six three six. Guys, it's not that the playoffs won't be exciting, but I do still believe that it's garbage that a division winner after one hundred and sixty two games can be bounced in two games in the wild card round. I mean, I get it. But is it more garbage than one of the Mets or the Braves potentially losing out in the playoffs after one game? Because that's what the old format would have had you have. Yeah. One of those two teams, whoever does not win their division, and they're going to win, what, 98, 99 games this year, something like that? One of those two teams would potentially be bounced after one game against, what, the Padres? That would that would have been their... their they, they, basically, you're going up against probably you, Darvish, would be my guess. 
and you got one opportunity to not get bounced. See, I, I don't know, man. The reason That's I like the reason I like that was because it put the importance on winning your division, and it still is that right but now. They, they were just but it doesn't unfor- matter for one of those teams. Like, it was like, unfair. It matter, the it, NL Central this year. Yeah, it was unfair that they ended up in the NL East. Like the Cardinals would be seven games back right now of the Braves in the National League East. So is it? Is it more unfair for the Braves that they got stuck in this unbelievable division or the Cardinals? You know, I, I just like it that all three division winners got a quote unquote buy. Like they got the extra day. And then if you didn't win your division, you had to go to a winner take all. My my only pushback, like I wouldn't mind if they would have decided to do. And I know they wouldn't have because money was involved. But uh, they decided that the wild card round, instead of being a winner take all one game, if they did that as a best of three in the old format, like that I would have been fine with. And then all three of your division winners get the same buy period that you're going to see that your top two get this year. Yeah, I, that would have been fine for me. I think this is more fun. Oh, like, see, as, I, as a I, fan, I think this is more enjoyable to see more teams that are potentially included in the playoffs. Like the Mariners being in is fun this year. Eh, I, yeah. I think they were deserving of making it to the playoffs. Team I, one of the Orioles. Yeah. yeah I, and like, honestly, I, I just hate expanding playoffs because it, adds more to me it just invites more teams in terms of just it makes it easier to get in if there was an expanded playoffs you would not see mariners fans engaged in baseball at this point in time basically there'd like, be a half game back though the second wild card the the orioles are out of it at this point if you don't have the expanded playoffs the brewers um and phillies it'd be tougher for them to be able to get in. I I just think it's better for the game. Like next week, most of those teams that I just mentioned would not be paying attention to baseball any longer, most likely because their their magic numbers would probably be achieved at that point in time. So I, I'm glad at this point that they decided to make the change for the expanded playoffs. I understand though, Tanner, you are old fashioned. I get it. You I know. just like good baseball. T-Bone thinks it's garbage. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to talk to Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. I want to get his thoughts on what the Scott Perunovich uh, injury means for the Blues. Also want to get his thoughts on what that third line has looked like so far. Logan Brown, Jake Neighbors, what are his early impressions of those two? We'll do that with Joey Vitale at 1 o'clock. The Junk Tour coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. practice safe reporting skills that's what they taught us in journalism school and tanner has a story for us today on that here in the junk drawer today i like i like how you set that up for me that was nice so as we know there's the hurricane that's going on down in florida and as the broadcasters we know the important part is you can't let the equipment get wet absolutely got to cover up the microphone got to get the cameras covered it gets wet it gets damaged exactly so you gotta make it keep sure make sure it's Slipping protected. all around in your hand. You yeah. Don't need that. It's and not strong enough. Apparently, and I didn't know this until Ferrario confirmed this for me today in the stu- or in the office, that the best way for reporters sometimes to protect their microphone is to wrap it in a condom. I had well, no I'm, idea. I'm not sure that that's true. I've never seen this before. <laughs> I hadn't either, but Ferrario yeah. told me it's like Journalism one 2.0. We use these at Lindenwood all the time. They they condoms. That, this, this is what they put them in. They put the uh, the mic pack in the condoms. And theater does this as well. Like actors and actresses Backstage? use these 
Huh? Backstage? <laughs> well, they might. I don't know if they use them backstage, but on stage, they put their mic pack in it so that it's able to be secured somewhere rather than like one Inside of those pouches. Inside of a condom. Yeah. They, they, surely there's a better invention. Now there's we can wrap a something around. else that they could use. Well, I mean, there was the one thing that fits around any uh, any size, shape, or form. I'm not sure that it fits around any size. <laughs> they got small versions. They got medium versions, and they got Magnums. large versions. Yeah, they got they got the 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 Trojans. I saw this, and I'm with BK. I've never seen yeah, this I, before. I, I believe what you're saying, Alex. Maybe I just don't know all the tricks to the It's hard for me to believe. Um, well, it's hard for them too. Probably jumped on bluechew.com. Yeah. She wouldn't do it. <laughs> she was asked about this on her own Instagram page. She defended her practice of using. Always defend your practice. Yeah. Of using the uh, the condom over her equipment. <laughs> Some of us use those for other things in college. Not necessary. 636. We're Congrats. talking about serious journalism here. She Congrats, said, man. quote, it is indeed what you think it is. It was a condom. It helps to protect the gear. You can't get those microphones wet. That's what she said. There's a lot of wind and a lot of rain taking place, so we got to do whatever we can, and that e- that means putting a condom on the microphone. What is what is this that they put on, like, uh, is it like a poncho on, like, cameras and stuff like that? Like, Sorry. Sure. Technically, this is a poncho. Yeah, but it's just the one that fits around any size one, of an object. Surely there's one that we can get that doesn't have the tip. Well, like the only this other one thing does. you're going to use with this is uh, is a Ziploc bag. You just put it on the tip. Is that your your route? The only way you're going to do something other than this is to use the Ziploc bag. And the problem yeah. with that is the cord that's sticking out. It's going to leave an opening so it can still get wet. You got to make sure it's completely secure. Do you think she used a flavored one for this? No, no. you got to use a dry one. You can't make it smell better. No, you got to use a dry one on this because you can't get the equipment Rimmed. wet. Ripped. Yeah. Ribbed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, T Bone is inexperienced. Not how supposed to come, and if they do, you've got bigger problems. You got a bad buddy. Clearly, T Bone is inexperienced in that. Coming up in 15 minutes. That's Joey. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can only imagine where that would go. In 15 minutes, has Tommy Edmond earned the role as the everyday shortstop for the Cardinals in 2023 based on his performance there in 2022? We'll talk about that coming up at 1.15. Patience or panic at 1.30. But Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, want to get his thoughts on the Scott Perunovich injury and what it means for the Blues moving forward here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Tanner Hendrickson. The Blues are back in action tonight. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale begins at 6 o'clock. You'll hear that all right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. We'll be joined by Joey Vitale coming up here in just a minute. But Alex, earlier today, there was a piece over on ESPN.com about how e- how NHL players would like to change the playoffs. And this was from Greg Wyshynski. And the overall takeaway was most players seem to be in on the notion of reseeding it one through eight, as opposed to having the yes. divisional series, division winners at the top, and then the wild card team. 
Do you like this idea? Absolutely. Because it's not going to happen this year. We're too late now. But mm-hmm. do you think in the future they should go back to reconsidering this? I do. And I know a lot of people's argument with that is, well, it takes away the rivalry aspect that you get in the division of potentially the first round. I think you're going to have rivalries in the playoffs no matter what. I don't think that matters. Like when the Blues used to play Vancouver in the first round, I remember as a kid, I hated the Vancouver Canucks because you always saw them in the playoffs. Then for a while, it was the San Jose Sharks. It was always a hatred towards those teams. I think that is the perfect way to go. And just for just for kind of a, a view of this, if it were to happen last season, the Blues would have played Edmonton in the first round. That would have been a hell of a series would have been awesome. in the first round. And then if they would have won that series, you're potentially talking about taking on Colorado or Nashville. Colorado was the second round. Colorado would have been the second round again. But you would have built another rivalry with a team that's outside of your division. And frankly, the the league now that it has expanded to more teams and you play your division opponents less, like I think you only play Minnesota this year three times. Or maybe it's Dallas three times. Those rivalries are going to start going to the wayside because you're playing everyone a lot more. Give me one through eight so I see other teams other than just the divisional opponents. And for me, it's not even about who you play. It's about the equity of it all. Like last year, the Blues played against Minnesota in the first round. Minnesota was the second best team in the Western Conference during the regular season. The Blues were the fourth best team in the Western Conference. That was unfair to both teams. Like instead, the Wild should have been playing the Dallas Stars in the first round of the playoffs. I think the Wild probably advance if that was the way that things set up. I think the Blues would have had a tough time with Edmonton because they've got superstars all over the place. But I think the Blues would have made relatively quick work out of the Oilers as well. And then you end up getting to the second round. It should have been the Wild versus the Flames and the Blues versus the Avs. That would have been the way that things set up in the second round of the playoffs. That would have been a hell of a lot of fun. The playoffs are already great. The NHL doesn't have to worry about, like, do they have a playoff problem? No. The NHL postseason is fantastic the way that it's set up currently. I just think it's more equitable if you decide to go this route as opposed to uh, the way that it currently is. Now, the players, one thing they were against in this story was the expansion of the playoffs. No playing games, none of that stuff. No funny business. God, how do you guys feel about that possibility? T-Bone, the floor is yours. Oh, I'm so happy to hear this because I hate expanded playoffs. NBA, I'm glad we're not going the NBA route where, hey, did you play this year? Yeah, you're in. Cool. Okay. I like it. I like the fact that only 50% of the league gets in. I, I think you have to earn your way into the playoffs. And I know the argument of, well, then you get more fans involved. Look, if an organization can't build a competent hockey team, let's not award them. So I like the idea that it's difficult. I think the format, I agree with changing it back to one versus eight, but I, I don't want to see expanded playoffs. I think the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs are set up perfectly as they are, just minus the one format. I think 16 is the right amount that you need in. Yeah, I mean, go back to that co COVID season when everyone literally got into the playoffs, Chicago played in that play uh, postseason. Like uh, you, you take away from you take away from the excitement. Now, if you look at last season, for example, if they would have had a play-in game, for example, the Western Conference actually you could make an argument. It, it probably would have been enjoyable because Vancouver and Vegas would have been playing each other to get into po- possibly that last spot. Those were two teams that were pretty competent last season once uh, Boost Brudreau took over for Vancouver and Vegas figured out their problems. But, like, did you really want to see the New York Islanders or Columbus Blue Jackets in the playoffs against a 100-point Washington Capitals team? Because there was a 16-point difference between those two teams. I, I just... I know it works in baseball because anything can happen and anything can happen in hockey, but I think you're depleting the postseason if you do that because you're you're forcing these guys to play a three or a five game series 
And then they got to go play three more rounds of seven game series. And you're wasting time in that first round against that play in game. Yeah, I just don't have enough like interest in watching these bad teams any longer than what we need to. Yeah. Like this year going into it, do I think there are legitimately 10 playoff teams in the Western Conference? Probably not. No. There's going to be some injuries that take place on one of the teams that ends up they're decimated by injury. And by the end of the season, they're like limping through the regular season. The <laughs> idea of having to watch them play another game, it just seems unnecessary. I do like the one through eight. I playoff love the one seating, though, eight. If they would go back to that. We do have Joey Vitale on the line. You'll hear him on the call tonight for the Blues versus the Blue Jackets pregame coverage with Joey and Alex beginning at six o'clock. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Joey, we appreciate Joey, the time as always, Joey, man. Happy to have Joey, you on once again Joey. this season. I miss the uh, I miss the chance, boys. I'm not gonna lie, I need those every morning. I wish my kids, I wish my kids would would do that when I come down in the morning. You know, I feel like I'm running a bed and breakfast these days. You know, with the meals and making the beds and packing lunches. Pretty soon, I'm gonna be putting little chocolate mints, I think, on their pillows um, as they welcome them home. I think every day from school, it's getting, it's getting a little insane. Joe, yours are older than mine, but I'm starting to feel that right now, also with a one and a half year old and a nine week old. So I'm gonna have to learn your ways moving Joey forward. Joey has a dozen of them. <sighs> Joey does have a dozen <laughs> I mean, of them. It is a better breakfast. Listen. Listen, these things, these things, they're, they're fun to make, but my goodness, they're a lot of work. <laughs> they are absolutely fun a lot to, of make, work Joe. to make, or a lot of work to keep once you have them made. <laughs> Oh, man, I tell you, yeah, I'm not going to go down there. <laughs> reverse the sexy, the sexy one. Yeah, that's uh, Joe, we, don't have enough, we don't have enough time on the show to kind of go through the snip, snap, snip, snap. Joe, I didn't know how expensive they were once they got here. Oh, man, these kids don't stop eating. My son Harper's like a garbage disposal. He just keeps shoving it in. And and, uh, and, and then these kids, they get picky now. They're all, they're all picky. When did the kids become picky? Oh, like yeah. I'll, make, I'll, make, I'll make a simple lemon butter butter pasta, and I'll make some rigatoni, and I'll put it out into the table. And like, what's this? I go, oh, it's the lemon butter pasta. I always make it. It's, he's like, what's with the rigatoni, Dad? You know I like angel hair. I'm like, he's like, what now? <laughs> Get out of here. Is that a thing? Oh, that's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. The kids are picky about their noodles. They need to have their steak well done. I tell you what, it's getting, it's getting insane out there, boys. Thank God hockey's back. And we have something to distract us from all the misery. Absolutely, it is. <laughs> and Joey, let, let's start with the good before we get to the unfortunate injury news for the Blues. Uh, based on everything that I've heard from you guys' broadcast and what Alex has been telling me, it sounds like Logan Brown has been off to a torrid start, and we can just go ahead and expect 40 goals from him this season. Uh, kidding on the last part, but in all seriousness, what have you seen from Logan Brown? I think he's seen a player that is ready to make a hockey team quite frankly. And I think if he can stay this consistent, um, he will be here coming out of camp. And I think he can stick around. I think that, you know, you look at the Logan Brown's progression. Uh, he got heavily overshadowed in that draft, right? He's, you know, uh, play, has played the least amount of games of any of the five kids from St. Louis in that particular draft in 16. Uh, but I really feel like it could, could he possibly just be a late bloomer? Sometimes these kids need a little bit extra time. Maybe he didn't get the opportunity that suited him best in Ottawa. You bring him in there for Zach Sanford. He comes on the scene extremely hot last year. Remember how those first eight, nine games, he was on fire, getting points, playing well, and we thought this was a heck of a trade. Uh, the issue with Logan Brown is his play last year kind of dropped off just a little bit, and that's going to happen. It's a long season, and you're going to be playing with different line mates, different teammates. You're trying to earn the trust of your head coach. So I think he was going through all those bumps and bruises. I think he had a great summer. And I look at the way he trained. He got away from St. Louis. He went to Arizona. He found some, not only, um, I say, some, some peace of mind outside of the physical stuff. 
And I think now he's returned. And I think, quite frankly, we're looking at a kid, at least uh, the way he's playing, he, he seems possessed to the point where he doesn't want to go back down to the minors and play, and play there anymore. He's from St. Louis. He'd love to stick around. He'd love to make it work here. And the biggest point for him is just that can he bring that consistent effort every single game, night in, night out? I mean, again, you're not going to do it for 82 straight. Um, you're going to have a couple of you know, clunkers here and there. I think of all the players in the Blues, it's probably Ryan O'Reilly that uh, lacked the most clunkers in the season. Petrangelo was certainly a guy at the end of the year that you're looking at maybe five or six games most he played bad. You know, Logan Brown, it's, it's going to be 10 to 12. If he can have 10 to 12 clunkers and, and find some consistency uh, throughout a season like this, uh, using his hands, using his skills, scoring goals, and, and being heavy, being heavy on the puck, that, that to me is going to be the recipe for him if he wants to continue to do well in this camp, make the team and certainly stick around. Well, Joe, uh, Scott Perunovich has already started off the preseason with a, a clunker, not in terms of his skill, but more so just what happened to him. The hit against uh, the uh, forgot that was the Chicago Blackhawks took him out of the first period and no real update, but Craig Berube just said that he's getting evaluated and frustrating for him. Uh, you talk about a kid who can't, can't catch a break. It's Scott Perunovich, but on top of it, the depth of defense is starting to be hit by uh, injuries with Scandella and now Perunovich. Yeah, you know, I saw Scotty on the plane after. I didn't get a chance to talk to him too much. He seemed kind of down and out, uh, so I didn't want to kind of bother him or anything. And, and he had a long night, obviously, and had a great camp up to that point, so I, can, I could see that the frustration was certainly uh, visible on his face. He did look stiff. He was moving around pretty gingerly. Um, I was thinking maybe this might just be uh, possibly um, just a precaution thing, but it does look like he, he may have something kind of going on. So again, we'll have to wait on the, the final note there from the coach to kind of see what, uh, what Scotty's going to be doing moving forward. But, but I do think it's more serious than just a knickknack or, or a precaution thing. Uh, now how long he will be out, we will have to see, but you're right. You know, Alex with Marco Scandella, you know, getting his hip repaired, he's out for six months. Um, hopefully we get him around that deadline time to return to St. Louis. Uh, but there's, there's going to be some holes. There's going to be some gaps. I really, really, really like our top four, though. And, and to me, uh, that's, that's still kind of solidified, right? I mean, you got Krug and Parade going, you got Falk and Letty. Uh, so at least you have those top four guys, knock on wood. Those guys are, are going to be running here for us, and they're going to be eating up, you know, let's call it 70, um, 70 75 cents, 80% of the minutes. You know, and, and keep in mind, I mean, I know that you lose, you lose Marco Scandella and you lose Perunovic, but we got a heck of a bottom pair there, 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 there too. And I know that Nico Mikola and Robert Bortuzzo uh, would be the first to tell you that. And Craig Ruby would too. I mean, Nico Mikola, the way he has just continued to improve and progress, he's, he's a really special player. I know that that's going to be a decision for Doug Armstrong after the season's over. Uh, Robert Bortuzzo always brings that size as well. I think it's always great to have some size on that bottom pair. It does fit that Blues brand of hockey with the physicality and the, and the feistiness between those two guys. And not to mention Robert Bortuzzo, he's not just a one-show one, one pony. I mean, you talk to the coaches and players, I don't know if there's a defenseman that kind of makes those small little dink plays that get out of trouble better than Robert Bortuzzo. So he's got the knowledge and the wisdom. He's been in the league a long time, you know, second longest tenured blue right behind Vladimir Tarasenko. So he, he's been around the block. And I know that you do lose a couple guys, but I think right now that the depth so far will save them, especially if we keep that top four healthy. Joey, final question that I've got for you. We're talking to Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. You'll hear him on the call tonight for Blues versus Blue Jackets, another uh, preseason game right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. I want to ask you about Braden Shin because it, it feels like his status in terms of is he going to be a center, is he going to be in the top six as a winger, is at least up in the air a bit right now. In a best-case scenario for the Blues, where do you think Braden Shen starts the season? You know, to me, I think Braden Shen, uh, with his age, the, the where I see kind of the wear and tear of him, is this is a player that 
let's be honest, guys, he, he plays very hard. I think he plays maybe the hardest, most consistent of any of the forwards we have. Now, with that, it's going to wear on you. I don't think you can sustain that style of play if you're in the top six. I think, personally, I think you, for that reason, have given him a little bit more rest on that third, on that third trio there, that third line. Um, give him more rest there, and that way you can also slot him in there to play the position, quite frankly, that he loves to play, which is center. Right. So, I mean, to me, you're kind of, you're taking a lot of Braden Shen's game away when you put him at the wing and you put him in the top six for the reasons I just mentioned, uh, top six minutes are a little bit tougher than that, that third line. And he, he is suited better at the center position. So I do think um, he is looking at um, a role this year and moving forward, probably in his career where he's going to be that probably third line center. Again, um, he, he's a player that likes to be in control. He likes to move about, and at the center position, you're allowed to do that. When you're at the wing, it's more positionally sound. You got to be disciplined in the D zone, not to get running around. You know, it, it reminds me. I'm sure you guys know this, but you know, when you're when you come home from a road trip or, 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 or a trip, or you know, you're gone for a couple of days, and you're coming you come into the house, and your wife just goes completely bananas, like, "What are you doing? This is this is my zone. You're messing with my my space, and you're doing things all weird. And I already I already fed the kids breakfast. And you're making another breakfast. You, you can and that that's like Braden is like my wife. Like she she needs to be in control. Like she needs to be like I, I got this. I'm doing this. You just kind of hang over there and do your thing. And and for Braden, you know, uh, that's that's his mojo. He he wants to be the guy kind of dictating the pace um, of the play. He's going to slow the game down at times. If if the game needs a big hit or a fight, he's certainly. Um, able and willing to do something like that too. So there are players that like to control the game. There are players that like to react to the game, you know, and I think that, you know, you look at the O'Reilly's and the Shens, uh, you look at Tory crew, Justin Falk, certainly Nick Letty. Absolutely. Those guys like to dictate the pace of the game. They don't like to re- be the reactors. And when you're a player that likes to dictate the pace to me as a forward, you got to be right down that middle. I like it. I've always said Joey Vitale, brilliant, Uh, a brilliant hockey mind, especially when he agrees with anything that I've been saying here on the show. Joey, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. Excited to have you back on as we get ready for this blue season. Looking forward to it, uh, you boys. And then, hey, Alex, we'll talk to you here tonight for the game and we'll be uh, checking in with you guys every week and looking forward, love listening during the summer. It's good to be good to be a part of the be a part of the party again. Looking forward to it, Joey V. See you, boys. That's Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time here on BK and Ferrario. He'll be joining us again weekly this year throughout the NHL season. What do you think about that? What do you think about Joey Vitale talking about Braden Shen as your third-line center going into the season? I think uh, Joey V is a very intelligent individual. That's right. Um, but uh, he's wrong on that one. When he says it, though, does it have a little more oomph than when I say it for you? No. Okay, cool. There's no oomph. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk some patience or panic when it comes to some of the players that you probably drafted high in your fantasy football draft. It's time to panic about them being able to contribute the way that you expected them to. We'll get into that coming up at 1.30. But next, has Tommy Edmond already earned the everyday shortstop role for 2023? Talk about it here on 101 ESPN. Listen, these things, these things, they're, they're fun to make, but my goodness, they're a lot of work. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So what does Tommy Edmond need to do to capture the everyday shortstop job? Or has he already done enough to do that for you? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner, I'm BK. 
Alex, do you think that he's done enough to be your everyday shortstop going into 2022? Or are you still open to going into the offseason and adding somebody to be in that role? Because I think we know at this point it's not Paul DeYoung. I think he has won that job for me to where I would play him as the everyday shortstop because you, I would imagine unless they're going to trade him in the offseason, you still got hopes that Nolan Gorman can perform well. And then you have Brendan Donovan. I just... I mean, what else can you ask for other than a guy who's going to hit 300 on a regular basis, which, look, everyone would love, but those guys are Trey Turners that are going to cost you a ton of money. Uh, Tommy Edmond has played, I don't want to say gold glove defense, but gold glove caliber defense at shortstop for you this season. He's not a liability. He's a guy who's going to get on base for you. You know what you're going to get every season. He's going to hit 250 and up. He's going to have close to a seven or 800 OPS, and he's going to give you a lot of stolen bases, and he's going to give you a lot of uh, runs scored, and he can move wherever you need him to. So I understand the sentiment of going out there and looking for a shortstop. I think there are other holes that need to be filled in this offseason. I would look at Tommy Edmond and say next year, plan on being a shortstop for 162 games. I, I still like the idea of exploring the market to see if you can find someone, just because I still believe that Tommy Edmond's best position is second base. I'm not trying to take him out of the starting lineup. I just think he's better off at second base position for the St. Louis Cardinals because he's won a gold glove there, and I, I, he's good at short. I think he's just a little bit better at second base. I think it basically comes down to me. Can you get Jose Iglesias on a one-year deal, bring him in and play shortstop? And if so, then you can shift Edmund back over to second base. If not, then okay, yeah, I, I'll be fine on settling with Tommy Edmund at short, and then I can have Gorman or Donovan be the starting second baseman heading into the new season next year. But I, I would feel fine. I, I wouldn't say necessarily like, okay, yeah, there's no need to explore the shortstop market, but I think I feel comfortable with Tommy Evan at this point to where I feel, I can say, you know what, we didn't get Iglesias. There's no need to go overspend on a Swanson or a Turner, especially when we got Mason Wynn down in our system that'll be close to ready to go. It's okay to go into 2023 with him as our starting shortstop on opening day. That's where I'm at. I think Tommy Edmond and Brendan Donovan, having both of those guys, gives you the flexibility to just add whoever your best bat is that you can get. If that means going out there and getting Jose Iglesias, who could be a 300 hitter for you next year, but doesn't have a whole lot of pop, go ahead. If you can get Xander Bogarts on a reasonable contract that you think makes sense for your team, and you think eventually maybe he takes over at second base or he's a DH, whatever it ends up being, sure, cool, I'm in for that as well. But I don't think it's like totally necessary. You have not pigeonholed yourself into a spot where this offseason you have to go out there and get a shortstop to be a starter every day. Edmund can do that. And if you need somebody else to spell him, maybe you go sign a backup utility infielder. Not this guy, but somebody similar to Edmundo Sosa on a one year, two to three million dollar deal who can play shortstop when needed for 30 to 40 games next year. If you have uh, Edmund kicking over to second base occasionally. So I, I don't think Edmund has been in a spot where I'm like, no, definitely do not have that guy playing shortstop for you next year. I just, I would like to upgrade that position if I can, because I think that's one of the positions that's easiest to upgrade from uh, if you go about it that way. But if they go into next season and they decide, you know what, instead of upgrading in the middle infield, because we, we feel good about Donovan and Edmund and we think Gorman's going to come in next year and he's going to be ready to go. He'll be a better player than he was this season. And we've got Juan Yepes ready to go and he can play first and spell Goldie there if needed when necessary. I, I think the spot that you really focus on is the outfield. Yep. While I think you, the middle infield is a place I would like to upgrade. The outfield is a place that you have to upgrade. I saw this earlier today. Uh, the Cardinals have now used 39 different outfield combinations as starting Oof. outfields this year. 39 different combinations. Woof. I didn't even know that was possible for a team in 2022 to do. 
And yet the Cardinals, because they have so many different guys that they've filtered through, they've tried finding an everyday solution. And to be honest, I thought at the beginning of the year they had found it. It was Bader, Carlson, and O'Neill, and that was going to be the future of the outfield. That's very clearly not the case because Bader's gone. I don't know what Tyler O'Neill's future is going to be here. I don't feel like I can count on him to be an everyday starter for me at this point. We're now, what, five years in? How many times do we have to be fooled before we decide, you know what, he's just not a 162-game player? This guy that's going to play 100 games for you? Anything better than that is gravy. They have to improve this outfield in the offseason. You know what they say, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me the fifth time. I don't even know how we got here. That's the saying. Oh, is that what it That's is? the saying. That's what I heard. You got to look it up. I'm not sure on the uh, the nitty gritty of it. But yeah, I mean, if your hope is, is Jordan Walker by the first month or maybe out of spring training that he makes this team, great. And you're going with Dylan Carlson no matter what. I know people aren't happy about it, but he's out there. Yep. So you get two of the three spots that within next season, you know, are taken. I need a third everyday player. I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Well, I got two guys who can play in the lefty-righty. I would prefer to have three outfielders that I can bank on every single game. I think that's the more desirable upgrade for this upcoming season if you want to keep this window open that you're saying is opening up for the first five, se- uh, five years. I-, I would go out there and find everything I can for a left field spot or right field or center field, wherever you want to go with that. And then Tyler O'Neill can be my fourth outfielder. Tyler O'Neill and Lars Nupar can fight for that fourth outfielder spot. And if you perform well, guess what? You'll get more playing time if you're outperforming some of these other guys. Another thing that I would like to see, by the way, going back to our conversation at shortstop, because I think it impacts what we're talking about right now with the outfield. I think Nolan Gorman should, should be planning this offseason to transition to the outfield. I know you don't like it, Tanner, I, but I think he should be out there. I think Nolan Gorman should figure out. You know what position hitting. I think he should transition to? Yeah, DH. Yeah. DH, that's fine. But I, th- I think he needs to have the ability to play all over the diamond. That's where his value is going to be. I don't think he'll have that ability. He, I don't think so either. He's not a plus defender at second. He's just not. And or I, anywhere. I, I think Donovan is a better defender oh, at second base. What? Edmund is clearly a better defender at second base. I think at best, he's your third best guy there right now. And if you bring in somebody like a Jose Iglesias, they would also be above him on the depth chart in terms of your middle infield. I don't think Nolan Gorman's future here in St. Louis is on the infield. If he's going to play, it's going to be in the outfield if he's playing the field anywhere. So I I think he needs to this offseason transition to the outfield and give yourself the opportunity to get starts out there. See, I think his role's DH. Yeah, I think I, he's got to outplay Juan Yepes. I'm, I'm with you guys, but you ha- also have to have a position somewhere on the field. It, it, he's not just going to be a designated hitter every day. It, they're going to get other guys opportunities I, at DH, and I, when they do, I would like to see him have the ability to play. In I the think field. here. I think your best. I think the best thing for Nolan Gorman is be the everyday DH against right-handed pitching and be able to fill in at second base. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't think outfield, like if we're just going based on what I am picturing right now, whoever you probably bring in in this outfield, I'm just going to throw Brandon Nimmo's name out there because it's going to catch my interest. Sure. Nimmo, Carlson, uh, if O'Neal's on the roster, O'Neal, Newpar, Walker, like all those guys are going to be ahead of Nolan Gorman on the defensive depth chart in just terms of I feel comfortable with them being out there in the outfield defensively more than I do Nolan Gorman. But we haven't seen Nolan Gorman out there. I, 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 I bet he's to. not good in the outfield. I don't want to. How, how do we know? I'm just I'm just he, going he has of, not been all that bad defensively at second. The only reason why I'm like not necessarily thinking he's going to be your future there is because Donovan's been pretty good there and Edmonds great. And if they decided to go out there and get an Iglesias, for example, Iglesias is going to be your starting shortstop and Edmond will be your starting second baseman. So there's not opportunities there cuz he's he's not going to beat them out for those spots. But everything that I've seen from I'm I'm just trying to picture like okay, it's fair to say well we haven't seen him in the outfield. I get it. But 
what I've seen from O'Neal, Carlson, uh, who am I forgetting? I don't, you know, Carson Newpar. Let's go Nimmo. under the scenario that O'Neill, for example, is traded. I, I I don't know that I don't believe that Gorman will be worse in the outfield than the guys that you've used out there this year. I I think that Gorman can absolute be, absolutely be. I think he's better be. than Yepes. He could be better than Yepes or Burleson. But I think when you bring in another guy, I mean, you're looking at a starting outfield of if Newpar's out there in right field. I've seen him. He's pretty good defensively. Carlson very good defensively. In my we also opinion. know there's going to be injuries. Like there will be. The reason why I'm saying try him out there, have him focus on the outfield, is because I don't think he's going to be a guy that regularly plays on the infield. And so you give yourself more of that flexibility when you have injuries, when you have a day where uh, maybe it is a Dylan Carlson who gets a spot a day at DH because they want his bat in the lineup because he's hitting better next year, but they don't think that he's going to be, they don't want him on the, in the field that day. Th- those are the kind of opportunities where I just want him to have that extra flexibility. I don't think it can hurt him to, to get opportunities in the outfield. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work. And now you're back to where we're talking about right now, where you guys think he's a DH. Okay, cool. But you can have more value to A, the Cardinals, and also be in the trading market I, if I, you decide to go that route, if he can be a competent outfielder. I agree that you try it out, but I wouldn't go into the season just planning on like Gorman being as like this extra guy that could play the outfield. Like If we're talking about moving O'Neal, and honestly, I think O'Neal's best asset in the offseason is as a trade asset to where I don't think he's a fourth outfielder. I think he's a... Starter that's just not count that like you can count on. Chick. Somebody, somebody wants him. Yeah, so somebody will take Tyler O'Neill. I think you could put him in a package and go get another piece that can help your ball club. But I, I wouldn't go into the season and say, okay, well we've got Nolan Gorman, we've tried him in the outfield, and we think he's kind of like our fourth outfielder right now. Like I think if anything, if you're going to move O'Neill in the offseason, you're looking at two outfielders that you're going to bring in. One that you think can start in left field or right field, wherever you want to put him, and then one that's a fourth outfielder like a. I don't think he's a free agent, but we brought up his name at the deadline. Like someone like a Michael A. Taylor, very good defensive outfielder, come in, can hit like 224, that can come off the bench. I, I would not plan. Nolan Gorman should be like fifth or sixth on your outfield depth chart when you're looking at it, yeah, in my I, opinion, I, going into the season. I feel like I Nolan Gorman should be like that emergency outfielder for you where you have to have somebody. Kind of like what last year was with Mike Schilt, <clears throat> excuse me, and Tommy Edmond. Like, oh yeah, he could play center field for us. But like, wait, what? That's what I kind of feel like Nolan Gorman could be of like, yeah, we could use him in the corner outfield. But so I think he could be more like Brendan Donovan. I, I don't think that the difference in terms of what Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman are as outfielders, like what you would expect out of them, is all that dissimilar. It's not like Brendan Donovan is a super fast guy. Nolan Gorman, if you just look at the sprint speeds, for example, is basically the same guy as Brendan Donovan. They look different on the field. But they're pretty similar. So I, I think he can play out there. Again, I'm not saying that he's a guy that you go into next season and slot him into right field and say he's your everyday right fielder. I don't believe that to be the case. But he's got a good arm. He's athletic enough to be competent out there. If Juan Yepes can start a number of games in the outfield for I, this team. You quit throwing my man under the bus. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Nolan Gorman can too. He played better third than I, I've ever I'm seen just Gorman look, play. I'm just looking at it. So Brennan Donovan had, has had experience in the outfield throughout the minors, at least from what I'm seeing on baseball reference. I'm trying to see if Juan Yepes obviously did. Gorman has not moved to the outfield because they wanted to keep him on the infield dirt as long as possible. That's what would also make me concerned. That's why I'm saying do it in the offseason. Get some training out there. But I think you need more than just an offseason to train for that position if you're going to be in the the conversation of the rotating door of an outfielder. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to the BK and Ferrario rewind. But next, patience or panic? Fantasy football edition. Your guy that you drafted in the first round if he's a running back. Ooh, you're probably getting ready to panic. Is it time to have patience, though? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
tap that pig. Let's play a game of patience or panic here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's do this when it comes to fantasy football, though, Alex. We are three weeks into the fantasy football season, about to start week number four tonight. So let's get into it. Let's start with patience or panic on Jonathan Taylor. Hmm. Jonathan Taylor through the first three weeks of the season, two weeks, he's had a nice workload, 31 rushing attempts in week number one. He had 21 of them last week. Unfortunately, though, the yardage has not been following week two against Jacksonville. He finished with just 60 yards from scrimmage. And then last week it was 90 yards, which is fine, but he did not have any touchdowns to go along with it. Are you having patience or panic when it comes to Jonathan Taylor as a top three pick this year? I I mean, as a top three pick, I would be panicking, but if I had Jonathan Taylor on my team, it would be patience because despite his low scoring, you're not moving on from Jonathan Taylor. And at some point you would imagine the Colts are going to get this on the right track. Maybe the chief's victory is a jumping off point. And when they do get it right, maybe once they can figure out what the hell's going on with their offense and their offensive line, you know, Jonathan Taylor is going to get those touches. I mean, the same can be said about what Derrick Henry was. Derrick Henry, the first two weeks was just abysmal. I can say that because I had him on my team. (laughs) And then last week he went off. So I would say patience right now with Jonathan Taylor. I'm with you. I'd say patience as well. I think the Colts get back to their identity here soon. And that is giving the ball to Jonathan Taylor. And then once Jonathan Taylor has that one big game, I think that's the jumping off point for him. So I'm going to say patience. I think you hold on. I I don't think there's any need to panic just yet. Uh, yeah, we're all in patience in this one. My, my concern is that the Colts are going to be bad, and if they are, Naheem Hines, Naheem Hines is going to get more of the opportunities than what we expected coming into the season because he's their passing down back. And when they're behind, he's coming into the game more often than what you expected. I thought the Colts were going to be pretty good this year. So when I drafted them, I did so with the thought he's going to start icing out the games in fourth quarter. He's going to finish with 20-plus carries almost every week as a result. That hasn't been the case early on. So I think that's the biggest issue for them. If the Colts end up being okay, I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be more than fine. But right now it's looking a little concerning. I would have patience. Patience or panic on Christian McCaffrey, who, by the way, missed practice once again today. He's got a thigh issue, apparently. We don't really know what his status is going into Sunday. But the first couple of weeks of the season, it was not good for Christian McCaffrey. Week one, 10 carries for 33 yards, added in four receptions for 25. Week two, 100 yards on the ground. That was great. But again, Four receptions for 25 yards. Last week, just two receptions for seven yards, but had another 100 yards on the ground. Patience or panic, Alex, on Christian McCaffrey getting back to prime form? Panic. Absolute panic. Because like this, to me, feels like it's the Baker Mayfield show where he's just going out there and trying to throw the ball. And the problem is kind of what you just said about the Colts, where they're trailing so much. Not only are they not, are they trailing a lot, they're just really not scoring touchdowns other than those those deep throws that they're coming up with. This just feels like for Christian McCaffrey, one, you're never sure if he could stay healthy. Two, that offensive line is awful, so he's not going to stay healthy. And three, when you got Baker Mayfield, he's going to be throwing that ball an awful lot. So I think I'd start panicking with Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I'd panic too. And BK, you said it. Well, is he going to get back into prime Christian McCaffrey? No, I don't think he's ever going to get back to that guy. He's dealt with so many injuries. I don't think they have him as involved in the passing game this year because they're trying to take away some of that workload to keep him more healthy. So I would panic. I, I think there's serious concern in Carolina, and let's just be honest, Matt Rule's probably going to be fired in a couple weeks too. True. I've got some panic because of the lack of a passing game role. I, I don't understand why they're not throwing the ball more often to Christian McCaffrey. That was his value. Like you go back to 2019 when he was the the prime version of Christian McCaffrey. Here are the final six weeks for him in terms of his reception number. This isn't even targets. This is receptions. 
1197-11857. You look at what he's done this year, it's 442. He was getting three weeks worth of receptions in a week last year. That's what held up his value, especially if you were doing a PPR league. So I'm panicked. I'm officially panicked when it comes to Christian McCaffrey. If you're holding him right now, I don't think you could trade him for what he's worth. So you got to hold. But man, this is not a good scenario. This is not what you wanted to see out of Christian McCaffrey. Especially if people selected him third, fourth, fifth overall. You can't do anything about it. Another guy that was selected in that top five in a lot of leagues is Austin Eckler. Patience or panic on Austin Eckler. Over the last few weeks, he still has a nice receiving role. Eight, nine, four receptions over the season. The problem is he's doing nothing on the ground, and I mean nothing. So far this season, he has 80 yards on the ground through the first three games of the season. And oh, by the way, he does not yet have a touchdown from scrimmage. <laughs> you guys have impatience or panic when it comes to Austin Eckler as a first round This pick? is panic for me. You just lost their left tackle as well. And I believe Keenan Allen is going to be coming back. I think he practiced yesterday. Maybe that benefits him a little bit so there's more options and maybe they can look towards Austin Eckler. But that offensive line, if it's already starting to get banged up, I'm going to start panicking because if he can't run and score touchdowns, I don't know what his value is. I think I'm going to lean towards patient just a little longer. I I think he's going to get the running game going. I understand they're missing the left tackle, but... I think they're going to have to run the ball so they can protect Herbert a little bit more while he's dealing with the rib injury. And as much as I just said it earlier in the show, I think Justin Herbert's a top 10 quarterback. So they're going to be slinging it more, but I think you still have to run the ball. And I think Eckler will ultimately end up being fine. So I'm going to say patience. I'm panicked. They are without their left tackle. I don't know that they can run the football (laughs) right now. That's my issue is like, should they? Would they like to? Absolutely. Can they? I'm not so sure, man. I'm panicked on Austin Eckler. The hope is that he gets things going in the receiving game. And if he does, you'll probably be fine, especially if you're in a PPR league. But in terms of his running game, man, I would be waiting for one big game out of Austin Eckler and then trying to sell high right afterwards if I was you. The last one here, patience or panic first round running back edition. It feels like a lot of these guys have underperformed so far this year. Hopefully you drafted wide receivers early on in your league. I didn't. So thanks. I feel personally attacked by that. I did. I feel good. Patience or panic on Najee Harris. Najee Harris has been getting the workload. 15 carries each of the last two weeks. Unfortunately, on the season, he's sitting at 128 yards rushing, and he also is not getting the workload that we expected in the receiving game because Mitchell Trubisky doesn't check down to running backs like what we have seen in the past from Ben Roethlisberger. He has overall on the season just 10 receptions. Guys, patience or panic on Najee Harris? Yeah, this is panic mode. This is uh, this is absolute panic mode because of Mitch Trubisky. Now, if they switch quarterbacks, maybe they'll stop doing this and they can actually start having some competent offensive plays and involving him. But until then, uh, Risky Trubisky is just going to keep going downfield and missing his receivers. So I would be panicking with Najee Harris. Frankly, I'm panicking with all of Pittsburgh's (laughs) offense. I have a wide receiver and their tight end on my team, and I lose a lot because those guys suck. I, I Every would, tight end sucks this year. The, the answer true. to the question of which tight end yeah. you want was none. Darren Waller has dropped like four round running, running passes. passes. Yeah. This is unbelievable. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say panic as well because Risky Trubisky's not gonna be checking down. I know I know you mentioned well maybe that changed if they go to a rookie quarterback. I can't remember the last time I saw a rookie quarterback checked out. So like I it's very unlikely that Kenny Pickett's gonna be doing that as well. When hands. He comes He's not in. gonna be throwing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still concerned. Your your best hope is that Pittsburgh ultimately goes the Chicago route and just says, We don't have a quarterback, we gotta run the hell out of the ball. And that's your best hope. But I would say it's time to panic with him. 
and they're never leading games. So you can't like hand the ball off and kill time because they're trying to play catch up all the time. I, if they go to Kenny Pickett, I think you're fine. I, I do think that he'll check down a little bit more than He's what you're saying. He's a competent quarterback. The difference with Trubisky is he runs like he just he, instead of checking down, he himself runs the football. I think that what you'll see from Kenny Pickett is. He's going to get panicked. Mm-hmm. And when something goes awry at early on in a snap, he's just going to immediately take his eyes to Najee Harris. And that's when you should be okay. The question is, are they going to go to him? Yeah, I'd be panicked by the comments that we have seen recently from the coaching staff saying, hey, we're not going to Kenny Pickett. I think you have to hold on Najee Harris because you're not going to get the value that he's worth right now in a trade. But I don't feel great about it. To his point. Look no further than Justin Fields in terms of panicking and going to your running backs. That's all he does is Montgomery and Herbert. So these are the first round running backs this year to what you said earlier, Tanner. How many of these guys, yes or no, would you still take in the first round if you had a redraft today? Jonathan Taylor. I'd say yes. Yeah. Christian McCaffrey. No. No. Austin Eckler. No. No. Derrick Henry. Yes. Yeah. Because of last week, I think he's going to do that more. Was Akers a first-round pick? No. No. God, no. Second, maybe. He Najee was sitting Harris? in the third for me. No. No. Dalvin Cook. No. no. I, I'm not sure Cook's the best running back in Minnesota I, still. It, I think it's going to be split time because he can't stay healthy, and they need him if they're going to try and win. They have to have a Dalvin Cook. Joe Mixon? Oh, yeah. He's helped me win a couple yeah. games. DeAndre Swift? I would still take him. I know yeah. that he's injured right now, yeah. but I would still when, take when him. When he's healthy, I mean, he's still so damn good. And the last one's Alvin Kamara. No, no, I I just got an update on my fantasy because he's on my team, too. I feel personally attacked by this game because this was like half of my team. (laughs) Alvin Kamara is already questionable. And then apparently his court case is getting pushed back. So I don't even know if this guy's going to be available. That's a good thing for you. Maybe his court case happening now means that the suspension could happen. I also still feel like that something's going to happen to where it's like the last two weeks of the season and his court case kicks in. Hear me out here. I don't think the list attacked your team. I think it showed your drafting ability. Well, coming up next, let's hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. from today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page 101espn.com and the free 101 espn app is where you find it. it's all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers let's finish up the show with where we began the show and that is with jose quintana who has now started eight games this season guys against legitimate playoff threats i'm talking dodgers braves yankees uh brewers and phillies those are the five teams that he's gone up against a total of eight starts in those eight starts, he's gone 40 innings, and he has a 3.1 ERA against them. That's pretty darn impressive. You saw it again last night. He did what he's done since he came over to the Cardinals. Five innings, four hits allowed, struck out seven, which was encouraging to see, and then just gave up the one earned run. I know they ended up losing that game last night. I didn't expect much of them offensively with the lineup that they put out there. I was so impressed with Quintana, given the lineup that was behind him, Alex, that I I do think right now I've got two starters locked in for me going into that wild card series. The first one that I've got is Miles Michaelis and game two for me right now would be Jose Quintana after what we saw yesterday. Yep. And nothing's going to change that they're locked in. And a lot of what Quintana did was be the the strikeouts that he had against Milwaukee last night. And it's kind of similar to what Miles Michaelis did. Also, when you get in those strikeouts for a guy that 
might not be labeled as the strikeout guy. Something is working well for him, whether it's he's feeling it correctly or uh, the Cardinals unlocked something special with him. He's in my rotation, just like Miles Michaelis is. And I feel good with my one-two punch. I don't feel great because you all are kind of in that tight butt cheek range of Jose Quintana wondering if it's going to last. But those are my guys. And then right now it's just a matter of who's going to take that third spot. What we talked about earlier too, though, is knowing that those are my one-two punches my bullpen better be ready to pitch in this wild card round because I, there's there's a possibility that both of these guys could be struggling come the fourth or fifth inning. Yeah, I'm with you guys. Michaelis, Quintana, they're locked in, and the bullpen's going to have to be ready to go. Maybe not so much the Michaelis start, but definitely more of the Quintana one, where Quintana is good just the first two times through the order. You feel comfortable with that, and then you can turn it to your bullpen. And I said this earlier. We we talked about what is the, kind of the identity of this team you think if they go on a World Series run, I think it's going to be partially the bullpen. I think the bullpen has to become lights out, and I think you see some of those weapons that have played in the bullpen. Matt's looks good coming out of the pen. I like Thompson. You got Gallegos, Gallegos, Helsley. Hicks might be another weapon that they're about to bring into the mix, so I think it's going to come down to the bullpen being that weapon for them if they go on a run, and then that third start yet, I think is to be determined by whatever happens in this Pittsburgh series. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page here. Uh, It's a matter of who ends up stepping up over the next few days, and for me, as of today, it would be Flaherty getting that third start because of the strikeout stuff, and then I would go to the bullpen afterwards. I'm not expecting a ton out of Flaherty. I've told you guys a number of times, I think he's pitching right now kind of like a reliever. Uh, If he gets me four innings in that third game and I push things over, maybe you end up going to Montgomery after him and then really hand it over to the bullpen uh, for the last three or four innings. So be it. It's everybody, everybody on tap for that game. But my first two, at least we've got those locked in. I think tomorrow what we do, speaking of that bullpen, I think we got to refresh the official circle of trust going into the final week of the season. It's in there still. So what so we're going to do, Fernandez, on that list tomorrow, we will we'll take you back to our first circle Brandon. of trust. Look at what who was in it at the time, oh. and cool. then cool. we will refresh it with who is in it today. Excited to do that with you guys tomorrow. We will also have John Mosellock, the Cardinals president of baseball operations, joining us tomorrow at one forty-five. So be sure to stay tuned for that. That is coming up tomorrow from 11 to 2 here on 101 ESPN. Coming up from 2 to 6 is the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. Listen, these things, these things, they're, they're fun to make, but my goodness, they're a lot of work. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.